Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I welcome you to a very special edition. Uh, we're going to have so much fun. I've been so excited to do this episode, and my gosh, I hope you enjoy it. I've worked so hard on it because it's so important to me. We're going to be talking about the year 1980, 40 years later, uh, with lots of special guests, uh, some that you're not going to believe. And we're going to tell uh, my history, a personal history. Uh, and invite you to come along uh, for the ride uh, and also to share your own uh, history. Uh, the reason why this is so important to me was because, okay, I grew up in the 1980s. Uh, 1980 uh, specifically was a very pivotal year uh, for me uh, and my family. I turned six that year, and I'm just, again, I'm just obsessed with the 80s. And since I started doing this podcast in 2015, you know, I always kind of had this idea of what I thought the podcast would be, and it, it wasn't until I, I got going, like with any good project, it starts to pivot. You start to kind of like kind of go, oh, okay, I thought it was going to be this, but now I realize I can do more, and I can kind of pivot and, and, and kind of get into some other things. And so, um, uh, you guys might remember our 1989 episode. I kind of did a brief one on the summer of 87 in 2017 but it wasn't until last year where i thought my gosh this is the 30th year anniversary of 1989 we got to do something right and we had so much fun uh going through all the fun stuff and all the great memories and but you know i don't want this to be a wikipedia page i mean anybody can just go online and 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 think about or learn about all the events that happened in 1989. I'm not, I'm not just going to read like news copy and go, you know, gas prices were this and, you know, and uh, George Bush was the president, you know. Um, there's going to be a few things that I'm going to remind you of or even make you aware of if you weren't uh, born uh, that year that will put things into a certain perspective I think you'll really enjoy. Uh, but the special guest I really have to mention, um, I guess number one I should say is if you heard last week's episode, you know, we had the great Barry Corbin. Um, and golly, what a great fun that was. Well, this is going to be more of Barry because what I wanted to do for 1980, uh, let me backtrack just for a second. How I mentioned how we did the 89 episode, I was like, oh my gosh, it's now 2020. I get to start at the very beginning. I get to start at 1980 and then next year. You know, next year, next summer, we'll do 1981, and so on and so on. And so I can actually... And Flash Gordon himself, Sam Jones, is here. Uh, as you know, of course, the great movie Flash Gordon has that great soundtrack from Queen came out in 1980. So how can we, uh, you know, have a 1980 party without Flash Gordon himself, Sam Jones? Just shape and form and build these incredible time capsules uh, of each year that uh, is my favorite decade, the, the, the time that was most magical for me, um, you know, still making memories, still having a great time, you know, now as a dad and, and all that, but uh, I hope all of you out there have one place in your mind or a time that is just perfect, uh, that lives, that still lives on in, in your in your hearts and your mind, and, and so I'm excited to be able to share um, that with you, my version of that, my time and place. And I love it that we get to start at the very beginning of 1980. Uh, and again, it's because it's the 40th year. Oh, golly, we did 89, it was 30 years. Now it's like 40 years. 
Uh, but back to Barry Corbin, when I was looking up 1980 and remembering 1980, I was thinking, okay, well, I kind of want somebody, you know, from the music world, somebody from the film world. Who could we get? And that's kind of how the whole Barry Corbin thing started. So last week's uh, edition with Barry Corbin was actually because of this episode. Uh, but Barry and I had such a great time that I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to split this up. We're going to talk about his current stuff he was doing with it right now with Better Call Saul. I mean, the dude's still killing it, 80 years old. Um, and so I definitely want you to tune into that episode from last week. Uh, but if you look at all the fun movies uh, that came out in 1980, uh, the reason why I picked Barry Corbin was because he, one thing I noticed, he's in all of them. All of the movies you think about from 1980, Urban Cowboy, Any Which Way You Can, Oh My God, Stir Crazy, uh, Oh My God, he's going to tell you some Richard Pryor stories. That's what's happening this week, if you can believe it. So... Um, so while we're so excited to have Barry, and then something else very, very special, and when I say something else, I mean uh, just something so powerful and so important to me and so special uh, that I'm very excited to share with you, is in 1980, again, I, I was only six years old that year, uh, but we, uh, my family and I had, uh, my, my parents had split up the year before. I'm not going to get too deep and I'm because I'm not going to, this is going to be fun, not the, it's not some blues jam, but my, my parents split up and so we kind of, uh, uh, me and my mom and my sisters, we went to uh, to Oklahoma for a year uh, to stay uh, for, with some friends with, uh, with my moms at that time. And so what happened was, we, in 1980, we re returned to Arkansas. Uh, and so much happened uh, that year. And what happened, one of the best things that happened was was that I made uh, my first friends. So next door to us, uh, we lived in Benton, Arkansas. So when we came back, little, you know, little small town south of Little Rock. Uh, you may have heard of Little Rock if you're not uh, in the south. Uh, and, you know, uh, we live next door to these brothers named Bo and Paul Williams. And they were my best friends. They were, especially Bo, and we were so close. And, you know, it's like, like when you make your first friends. I always think of the movie The Fox and the Hound, which I actually saw at the theater um, with those guys. Uh, I always think about that, too, because they're, they're intertwinable. And, and when we left in February of 82... Uh, it was my first just real, um, I guess, taste of, of heartbreak, of just real sadness. Um, I never forgot about those guys, uh, and, and it's such a, there's a long history of us, of our lives, you know, kind of intertwining, um, and, and lots of neat things. And the cool thing is, is that in 82, we went on to uh, a place that is very special to me, and there's, we're going to do an entire episode at some point. Uh, of this, uh, I'm also working on a film project. Besides the King's X one, um, I recently came into some contact. Uh, we've probably probably heard me talk about this before as well with some old uh, those old reel to reel tapes. My dad had them, and I was thinking about them, and and I thought, of course, they're long gone, and just, you know, and who knows where they are, and and my goodness, my sister had them, and I'm thinking I got to do something with this stuff, and so, so I'm really working on something very, very special. I hope to have um, 
and episodes, maybe do like a little docu-series. I, mean, I don't know what I would do with it. I just want it to be like a love letter to my family. Maybe maybe it's just my family will see it, but I just feel like I want to do something. So this is kind of the first part of it uh, is, you know, to kind of obviously do the podcast. But the neat thing is, is that through social media, uh, Bo Williams, he goes by James now, but James Bo Williams uh, found me on Facebook uh, quite a few years ago, maybe maybe as much as three or four years ago, and and you know, golly, I, I of course was so elated and so excited. I just can't believe it's taken us four years to actually still get on the phone. And you know, as you guys all know, it's been a big couple of years for me. I just you know, we, I just got married last year. I've had two kids in the in the last uh, <laughs> you know in the last uh, less than two years. So anyway. Um, Whatever, but all excuses aside, uh, I decided to say enough excuses, and, and a big part of that was that for our honeymoon, we were supposed to go to Iceland, and through a series of weird events, we ended up not getting to go. And my wife, being the camper that she is, we ended up going to uh, to Little Rock, um, and I and I and I, or actually, we am going to the Ozarks, and I don't want to repeat myself because I, I I tell this a little bit in. Um, during the interview, but uh, anyway, uh, and so anyway, so that's how it happened, and, and ever since then, I, I, I just came back from Arkansas just different. I hadn't been there, and you know, since I was a kid, and and it's really got me thinking about it. So I was like, man, you know, what about what are we waiting for? So I was talking with Bo off and on uh, via Facebook, and we decided to get on the phone, and it is the first time that he and I are hearing each other's voices. Uh, in close to 40 years. I think the last time he and I actually spoke was, you know, was probably the day we drove away in 1982. Uh, it was so great to, to talk to him and reconnect with him. Uh, he's just still the same old awesome good guy uh, that, that, that was such a great, great friend to me. Um, and to have him back in my life again has just been tremendous. And so, so this is a very special episode. We've got the great Barry Corbin. And again, you're going to hear my first conversation with my first friend, uh, Bo Williams uh, from 1980 coming up. But we're going to get into all kinds of great stuff. I hope you guys are having a great summer. I wanted to, to mention this. Um, you know, uh, I know it's summertime, and I love the summer. It's so special to me. And I know it's kind of a tough, tough thing right now with the whole COVID-19 thing. And I try to not talk about that on, on air just because I want this to be an escape. You have to hear about it on every other format and news channel and what have you. And this is supposed to be, you know, the good time. And it's going to be. I Trust me. But I mention it because... Um, my listeners out there, I feel like almost playing it. If this wasn't 1980 specific, I might play it in, in another episode. But uh, uh, the Breeders uh, have a song. You guys know the Breeders. You know Kim Deal from the Pixies and her and her sister Kelly. Uh, back in '94, had a big hit with an album called Last Splash. And you probably guys know the song Cannonball. But there was another single called Saints. And not only do I just love them and I love that album and I just love everything about uh, what they do is the song Saints has this a very simple uh, line in it, but it just gets me so much, and it just frames an emotion that is often hard to put into words. Uh, and it, the song isn't meant to be sentimental. It's actually a really fun, kind of goofy, kind of upbeat, fun song. Um, but when you think about the summer, at least for me, especially living in Arkansas, this is the connection, is that uh, you had the State Fair. I know the State Fair in Texas uh, is a big deal uh, here in Dallas. And then sadly, uh, we just learned that that's, that's actually going to be moved uh, to next year. It's actually not going to happen this year. So it's just kind of like I've been doing my best to not let 
this whole COVID thing stopped me from doing the things that I enjoy, but some things you just can't, uh, you know, you just can't avoid. But what you can do, and this is the point, the reason why I mentioned the song, is she says in the chorus, she says, summer is ready when you are. And there's just something about that I just love so much. I mean, just the lyrics anyway, where she says, I like all types of different people. I like sticky everywhere. She's talking about things that people normally don't like or, or really wouldn't feel behooved to announce that they do. And she's talking about diversity and every type of fair and outdoors. And, and instead of thinking, well, okay, you know, Memorial Day is when summer usually begins or the unofficial was when school lets out. And there was no, there was no release this year. You know, you guys probably know who watch uh, my Tricky Kid TV, who watch my YouTube channel. Know that my mother is an educator, and something I very, very much look look forward to doing every single year. I, when I lived in New York, I would fly home uh, just to do this. Is I would be at her house waiting for her, and when she came home, I would have Alice Cooper's "Schools Out" blasting with a bottle of champagne. Uh, and I would film it, and we would sing along, and just really have that, you know, just that um, Daisy Confused kind of movie. That just that, just there's something magical about, you know, like when the kids get off the bus. Remember, yeah, and I remember that as a kid. You know, this was going to be the last time, and God, those summers just seemed to last forever. And I know that the summers I spent on Summit Road in Benton, Arkansas. Um, for better or for worse, man, we were poor as, as church mice, but man, um, we had a good time. Those summers just shaped me. They defined me. And, uh, and it was because of my, my friendship, uh, with, uh, with Bo Williams that you're going to hear from, uh, was such a big part of that. And there's just so many things that you can't imagine that we still enjoy, uh, to this day that all started in 1980. So why don't we get into it, man? I'm going to go ahead and list a couple of things. I'm going to talk about a few things. And then we're going to hear from Bo. We're going to jump around a little bit. You know, uh, it's not going to be just one long thing with Bo or just one long thing with Barry. We're just going to have fun with it, man. We're going to jump around and just talk about all the stuff that started and all, all the events from 1980. And I'm going to add a few different things. Uh, go ahead and talk to talk to me. What is your favorite year from from the 1980s? What you know? I mean, I'm I'm gonna do something uh, one of these every single year. So if 87 is your, or I'm sorry, if 86 is your favorite year, you might have to wait a while for me to do it. But I'd love to hear from you guys, our listeners, what it was your favorite year of the 80s, or, or what was your favorite memory from 1980? And and even if you're not from, wasn't born that year, maybe there's something that came out of that year that uh, that still lives with you. So. Anyway, we're going to take a short break uh, and to talk to our, uh, I'm sorry, to announce a little bit about our sponsorships. And we'll be right back uh, with All Things 1980 with the great Barry Corbin and my old friend, Bo Williams. want to thank our sponsors this week for uh, Hop and Sting Brewing. Uh, some great, great, great beer there. Uh, Delgado Smiles Orthodontics. Come on, it's summertime. You want to smile? I know we're kind of got the, the mask on right now, but uh, get out there and get your uh, get your teeth fixed there. Um, uh, I don't drink coffee that much, but uh, my wife loves Hakuna Coffee and uh, had to get her some of that. Uh, also, the Hampton Water. Man, want to thank uh, Hill Rock uh, Distillery in the States up in upstate New York, made this beautiful, beautiful bourbon whiskey with the guys from Anthrax. Uh, and it's this, uh, the Solera brood, just, it's just 
it's unbelievably great. It's like one of those things where you feel like, oh my gosh, okay, all right, uh, I've never actually had whiskey before. I'm not the world's biggest drinker, but you know, typically I've had what pe- most people have, you know, Jack Daniels and Crown Royal and, and whatever. And you try this stuff and you're like, oh, okay, so this is what whiskey tastes like. There's only like, I think like 360 or 380 bottles. And uh, anyway, I was very fortunate to get one. So I wanted to thank the guys in Anthrax as well as uh, Hill Rock uh, Distillery in the States. Check them out. They're incredible. Hello. Bo Williams. <laughs> Holy freaking cow. After 38 years, it is so good to hear your voice, man. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't say famous, but I'm, I'm working on it. How's that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh man, this is so great. You know, I, I've, I've been wanting to do this for a while, as you know. And I guess the first thing I should say to you, of course, is happy fiftieth birthday. Oh man, I, I, I don't know about the happy part. Well, I think, I think you know this, and I know you remember this. But when we drove, oh, when we drove out of there that day and we were in the back of that station wagon and I was waving to you guys and uh, you guys were standing in the, in y'all's yard that was the first taste of just pure sadness that I think I'd ever had in my entire life you know what I mean it was just like in that moment I was just kind of like you know on one hand I was like oh I'll be back you know or, or we'll stay in touch somehow you know the, you know these guys are my brothers it's you know and, uh, you know, and it was something I never forgot, and it was something that no matter where I go and where I've been and what I do, I always remember that, and I always think, man, I really hope I'm going to be able to chat with those dudes again someday. And so, you know, it took us 38 years <laughs> to do it, but, uh, but brother, I'm so grateful to, to hear your voice and to have you on here today and us be able to kind of chat and talk about that time. You know, I, mean, I was six years old when you and I met, and you know, you were ten. And when I think of 1980, immediately the think I th- the the people that I think of, of course, are you and your brother Paul. And and you're already on my mind. And then when you and I were talking about your 50th, and I was thinking, oh yeah, wait, he's gonna turn 50 in 1980. I was like, man, we got to get his ass to be a part of this and uh, thought it would just be kind of fun just to be able to catch up with you and then we can uh, kind of talk about some of our, our own favorite memories of 1980 as you know because we spent the whole year together so you're probably not going to have any memories of 1980 that don't somehow might include me <laughs> what do you remember what what music we were listening to see and I don't know what year it was but you know the when the little bitty the single records come out yeah the 45. I don't know if you remember but, and I wouldn't call it back then it wasn't I didn't I don't think it was country but do you remember Blondie of course of course yep the tide is high yeah, yeah. I remember that record being played always 1980 called Auto American and the singles from that was The Tide Is High, uh, which, which actually is a cover song of a, of a group called uh, The Paragons, who had a hit with it back in the back in the 60s. But of course, we didn't know that. That was obviously the first time we had ever, uh, we'd ever heard that. And it was two big singles from that record. There was the, the Tide Is High and the song Rapture, where she, remember, she was rapping. 
But so 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 when you, so when you're driving down the road right now and you hear the tide is high on the radio, what do you think of? Oh, I just think back on Summit Road and you know running up and down up and down the road. You know, I'm crazy. You know, guys, boys singing it. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that was just you know it's like for real. We, we was you know, and I remember you know us singing it. Totally. Uh, and we're going to play The Tide is High. I know you probably hear it on the radio all the time, but hey, but for for this, uh, for Bo and I, we're going we're gonna to listen to The Tide is High together and enjoy this. Uh, we also want to say happy birthday to uh, Debbie Harry. She actually turned uh, 75 last week, which is odd to think that she was already 35 in 1980 when, uh, God, of course, she seems so young, and you know, 35 is young, but... Uh, uh, born Angela Trimble in Miami, Florida. Of course, you better know her better as Debbie Harry, as the front woman for Blondie. And this is The Tide is High. And we'll be right back with more with Barry Corbin and Bo Williams and all things 1980.
Okay, well, this is Sam Jones Flash Gordon. I'm with Roy Turner at Tricky Kid Radio. And you better be tuning in, or I will find you. Yes, I will. Yes. <laughs> that was, you remember how, like, in 1980, like, how suddenly, like, country music was, like, a big deal, and and all the country music people were, or suddenly had their own movies, like Kenny Rogers with The Gambler, and... Dolly Parton and all that, 9 to 5 and all that. Well, country music was such a big deal. And, you know, we lost Kenny Rogers earlier this year. And I was thinking about doing a Kenny Rogers tribute. That's kind of what also kind of fueled this whole thing. And, you know, he had the whole thing with the gambler. Uh, if you remember the, the Barbara Mandrell and her sisters, they had they had a, a show on, on TV, uh, some little variety show. But then, I mean, it was all country music. You had Coal Miner's Daughter with about Loretta Lynn. You had, John again, John Travolta in Urban Cowboy. Um, and, you know, you had, let's see, Clint Eastwood was in Bronco Billy, Any Which Way You Can. Then, uh, then again, of course, uh, Dolly Parton in 9 to 5. And you can't imagine how much country music that... That is still popular. People know about came out in 1980. We mentioned Dolly Parton in Nine to Five. Of course, the movie uh, Johnny Lee's Looking for Love. Um, again, rest in peace to Kenny, the great Kenny Rogers. Um, I want to do a whole episode on on just Kenny, and that's kind of how this whole thing kind of kind of snowballed a little bit. Um, and of course, he had all the movies and stuff. But of course, he had Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer with Kim Carnes. And gosh, I really wanted to get Kim Carnes for this episode. And and I don't know what happened to Kim. I know she's still out there kicking it. Uh, but interesting enough is that uh, I went to her website. I tried to get a hold of her manager. All the links are broken. Uh, or all the emails bounce back. I don't know what's going on. But uh, if you've seen Kim Carnes, have her give me a ring. I think she would be the ideal person. Uh, I love her so much. Uh, her single that year, More Love, is just a song that I still get in my head almost every single day. Um, but uh, uh, Texas Bound and Flying with Jerry Reed, uh, The Thing from Dukes of Hazard, Willie Nelson's On the Road Again. And if you think about it, even Bob Seeker's Against the Wind is kind of it's kind of a country song. Um, so it's just, it's just amazing how much country music, uh, so much good country music came out in 1980. And more with the legendary actor Barry Corbin, my old buddy Bo Williams, and Flash Gordon himself. Out of all the roles that you've done, what is the role that you get asked about the most? Uh, well, it depends on where I am. Okay. A lot of uh, a lot of people. Uh, talk about, still talk about Urban Cowboy. I mean, I, I get people who weren't born, and they even thought of at that time when we made it, who say it's their favorite movie. I've had uh, people 18 to 25 talk about it being their favorite movie. That's awesome. <laughs> it's uh, it's strange to me because I, I don't see it played very often, but they apparently uh, watch it somewhere. And uh, uh, when country music kind of kind of took over and was kind of in the mainstream in, in movies and, and things like that, and there is one guy that has been in every single one of my favorite movies, and it's you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was good. Uh, that was a good period of time for me. 
was, uh, I had, uh, up until that time, I'd spent most of my early career in, uh, uh, based in New York doing theater. You know, I, I didn't do my first movie until I was nearly 40. Yeah. And uh, that was Urban Cowboy. That was the very, very first movie I, uh, first, uh, it, was, it was the first studio movie I did. I've done a couple of TV things, but uh, not not a whole lot. I hadn't concentrated on it at all. Yeah. Well, but you, there were three smash movies that year you were in. Of course, Urban Cowboy, like you mentioned. Uh, and who can forget you as Warren, uh, Warden War- Walter Beatty in Stir Crazy. And my, yeah. and my goodness, if my dad knew that right now that I was talking with Fat Zach Tupper from any which way you can, he would, he would, he would have a stroke right now. I, he would be so excited to hear that. You know, young people that weren't even born when Urban Cowboy came out that are, you know, being still being influenced by it for, from 40 years ago, and where suddenly all these country music artists were suddenly getting, you know, roles in movies like um, uh, The Honeysuckle Rose with Willie Nelson, and of course, obviously, with Kenny Rogers doing The Gambler, and now with Six Pack. Unfortunately, you know, we lost Kenny uh, earlier this year, and I was hoping that maybe you'd like to maybe share uh, some memories that you, of your time with Kenny Rogers. Well, we uh, we didn't have a whole lot uh, really together. We did uh, most of our stuff was was uh, separate. So we did that. Uh, we had a few scenes together, but uh, uh, I I remember Kenny. Uh, that I think this was his first movie. I think Six Pack was, and uh, he was talking about uh, uh, how he said, "You know, this is this is really." a lot of fun and it's so easy. I said, yeah, it is. He said, uh, he said, if I'd known this, I'd have been doing this a long time ago. <laughs> I said, well, that's, that's good. Maybe you just, maybe you ought to start doing some more of this. And, uh, then, uh, and that's about all I remember. We had that conversation. Then he asked me if I wanted to fly out to the, to the, uh, uh to, to the, location in a in helicopter I said no not particularly I'll just take the car <laughs> smart <laughs> so man <laughs> he'd, he'd, fly in, he'd fly in on a helicopter and I'd, I'd ride out in the car which is about an hour but I got you know I got a book I can read yeah talk to people and stuff now and, uh, go ahead so that was uh, that was about all we had to do with each other was about that Oh, when was the last time that you saw him? Did you did you ever see him again? Of course, the original Dallas TV show as Sheriff Fenton Washburn, great name by the way. Yeah. But then you all, but then you also were when they did the reboot, uh, you know, just a few years ago. So you were kind of in a unique that you were on, you know, both shows. T- talk to me a little bit about how how those the different shows compared. Like when when they rebooted the Dallas. How did it feel compared to the old show? Well, I only worked one day on the new one, so uh, okay. Uh, it was uh, it was it was interesting. I went, to, you know, they shot the new one, all of it in Dallas, right? And uh, so I've, I've been friends, you know. I, I was uh, friendly with uh, with a bunch of the cast, uh, you know, Charlene Telson and uh, 
Ray and uh, uh, Patrick, all you know, and, right? And uh, and Larry, yeah. And they they had to have somebody read the will after uh, after that Larry died. I mean, he he was he'd been sick for a while, but nobody knew it. Yeah. And uh, he'd, he'd go in and get a transfusion about once a week. Oh man! And so they had to, you know, they had to shoot around his deal. But uh, when he passed away, you know, because they kept it pretty, pretty much undercover. Uh, but apparently, he he had said that he wanted uh, he wanted me to play the lawyer. Okay. To read the will. And uh, so that's what I ended up doing. I ended up playing this lawyer. Well, they they. The lawyer's name was the lawyer at the original series. Oh yeah, he was, he was played by uh, somebody. I, I want to say it was—I uh, don't remember who it was, but it was an older actor. So when I came in, that Patrick, uh, Patrick Duffy said, uh, <laughs> "said Well, uh, uh, you must be about 115 years old." <laughs> And I said, yeah, I must be. <laughs> and I said, well, well it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm, maybe, I'm not going to play him at all, but, I, you know, I'm not, because it, it was, he'd probably be, uh, the guy probably be over 100 years old now. Oh, well, yeah, because yeah, because yeah, that would have been, yeah, because, yeah, because yeah. about 45 years had gone, had gone by. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, I had a, I had a, uh, when I came in, I, I talked to Patrick and, uh, and Charlene, and I said, uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about Larry. I didn't even know anything about his, that he'd been hospitalized or anything. Yeah. And, uh, and Patrick said, yeah, the son of a bitch had nerve, didn't he? He died in the middle of the season. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, it's funny. Uh, Charlene told me told me a, a little bit about uh, that. Uh, I I interviewed her actually there at South Fork Ranch about a couple of years ago, and yeah. we had a great conversation uh, uh, about that. And she told some great stories about Larry. I'm, and even though it was only one day, I, it was I was it was neat to see you back on set. I was very excited about seeing that show come back. It was obviously a a big part of my childhood as well. And and I was it's a shame that it didn't you know it didn't last too long. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it lasted uh, about a season, didn't it? I, I think it's, I, I think it, I think it got canceled in the in the middle of the second season, I believe. I think so. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess it just couldn't find its audience, and then, of course, with with you know with Larry being gone and all that, it just uh, just couldn't yeah. really really reconnect again. But I was I was happy that they tried it, though. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad they tried it, and it. Uh, I mean, if it, it ran more than one season, if it ran the whole season, that's a that's a big hit for a TV show now. Especially these days, exactly. <laughs> I know exactly, right? <laughs> well, I was doing one in Utah that was that uh, was a very good show. Thing. Uh, uh, one thing I want to ask you before I let you go is that again we were talking about 1980, and we were talking about uh, that you, of course, were uh, Warden Walter Beatty and Stir Crazy. And I was hope yeah. I was hoping maybe you had a Richard Pryor story that maybe you hadn't told before or too many times. Well, Richard uh, was an interesting uh, case because he was uh, he was actually a 
going in, into this prison. We had to go into, we actually shot it in a, in a prison, and the extras were prisoners. Wow. Maximum security. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so we'd have to go through a series of doors, series of, uh, of uh, steel gates, you know, kind of. And every time we'd go through with gate, it'd jump, and, they'd, and you'd hear it slam right behind you, and then the next one would we'd go through that. And he'd go in there, and he'd go, go into the corner of the room and sit there in the corner on the floor watching people. And uh, uh, Gene Wilder would be out playing basketball with these killers, you know, people that were in there for murder and stuff. God. And uh, Richard wouldn't have that. Richard just sat there watching. He was, he was terrified. <laughs> Now, I know everybody knows this, and people like to make jokes. And in fact, uh, while he was living, he made a bunch of jokes about it. But uh, that summer uh, was not the happiest time for Richard Pryor. Uh, that's the famous thing where he set himself on fire after freebasing uh, cocaine, which uh, is in a movie that he graphically seen that he actually wrote and directed called Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling, uh, that came out, I think, sometime around 86 or 87. Uh, but Richard Pryor, in, years later, in his Live on the Sunset Strip uh, special, made he did the best thing about owning the joke. He actually lit a match on stage and was kind of like moving it along. And he goes, what do you call that? And the crowd was like, huh? He goes, that's Richard Pryor running down the street. <laughs> Awful. But uh, what, what a... What a, a once-in-a-lifetime talent uh, and what a bold guy to own that and and I've got so many great memories and my, me and my friends that little bit in Sir Crazy where he did the whole uh, yeah we bad we bad walking into the penitentiary we walked into class like that I, if you think I have swagger now I've always had it I, I, even even at age six and uh, that, but there was one guy that was interesting to me he was an old man he was out there lifting weights in the yard. He'd sit there, he'd stand there and lift these weights, you know, heavy weights. Yeah. He had, uh, he had biceps the size of my thighs. And uh, he was out there, he'd be out there lifting those weights, and not not talking to anybody. He'd just stand there and lift weights. And uh, I, I finally went over to him. I, I was the only guy in the yard in a suit. So I had all these people coming over wanting me to get them out somewhere, but I, you know, it was, it was kind of weird. Yeah. So I went over to the guy and I said, uh, I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? He said, no. I said, uh, uh, what, uh, <laughs> how long have you been in here? And he said, he said, I've been in here. Forty-eight years, oh. and I said, "Well, what's uh, what? What is your sentence?" He said, "They've got to release me in two years." Wow! Said, well, what are you What are you going to do? He said, "I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be the strongest damn seventy-eight year old you ever saw." <laughs> <laughs> That is the best thing ever. Oh, <laughs> that's 
what, now you're about 78 now, aren't you, Barry? Uh, I'll be 80 my next birthday in October. So, well, wh- so where do you rank in terms of the strongest uh, uh, 79-year-old men in the world? I'm in pretty good shape. Oh, I, you- get on the, I get on the treadmill uh, three or four times a week, go for an hour, and, uh, and do it at a pretty good pace, and then... Uh, Lift, uh, I don't lift heavy weights. I got some dumbbells, but heaviest I go is 25 pounds on each, with each arm, you know. Well, you still, in Better Call Saul, you look like you could still go a couple of bare knuckle rounds with, with Clint Eastwood in any which way you can. Uh, well, I could, I could whip Clint Eastwood now. <laughs> <laughs> He's ten years older than I am. God, I guess he is, isn't he? Wow. Yeah, he's yeah. He's, he's almost ninety years old. Yeah. T- t- tell yeah, me, he's ninety. Tell me something about uh, that experience, because again, because again, Fat Zach Tupper. My my dad took me to see any which way you can whenever I was six years old in nineteen eighty, and we would quote your lines until I I was graduated from high school. Uh, <laughs> So I'd love I'd love to hear uh, you t- tell a little bit about your experience uh, working with Clint and working on that film. Well, Clint uh, is Clint's an interesting guy. I worked with him on that film and also one called Honky Tonk Man. Right, right. The next year, and uh, Clint uh, actually uh, his his uh, stunt double directed uh, uh, Buddy Van Horn directed any which way you can. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But Clint was always there on the set, so he I, I always had the suspicion he, he and uh, Buddy did get, get together and talk about it. So I, but uh, anyway, Buddy was, uh, was, he was a good director. Uh, but uh, Clint directed any uh, honky-tonk man, so that was, uh, his direction was, uh, well, this is an awful long scene. Let's just go till we bog down. I said, oh, all right. well, all right. So we just went through the scene. Okay. And he'd get uh, he'd get what he wanted in one angle, and then he'd just move to another angle. He didn't like anything. He just used the natural light in the place. I said, you know, we're not going to be able to see this when we... He said, "Oh yeah, yeah, they've got this. We've got new film. We'll, we'll be able to see it, and uh, you can see it if it's in if it's in a the dark theater. But if you're at the drive-in theater, all you can see is, is my sweat glistening." <laughs> <laughs> personally have so many uh, memories of, of so many great movies uh, from 1980. And like I said, Barry Corbin was in seemingly all of them. And I'm so excited that he's here to, to, to share so much such great knowledge with us. But uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Tony Danza uh, in May also that year, they made their film debut on a movie called The Hollywood Nights. Uh, some of the memories that I, some of the movies I remember uh, actually going to see at the theater, because that was just a big deal back then. I remember my granddad, Daddy Turner, taking me and my sister, believe it or not, this was Jim Carrey's probably like debut 
uh, at a theater there in Benton to see like Love at First Bite or something like that. Uh, that was one of the first times I was at a theater. I remember Nikki was really into Grease, and you know we were talking about the Empire Strikes Back. Um, I remember actually seeing Star Wars at the theater, kind of. Like, we were there to kind of pick her up, uh, and we kind of snuck in and saw it. But, but but, back then, like, going to the theater was such a big deal. It was such an amazing, magical thing for a kid. We were so poor that it was such a great treat to be able to go to the theater. And, and um, my dad would take me to see the movies a lot. A, I think it, looking back on it, it's like it was kind of something to do to kind of entertain a kid. But at the same time, he also wanted to entertain himself, the selfish bastard. And that sucker took me to see, uh, unfortunately, two memories I wish I could erase. Uh, I can remember uh, very clearly, and I'm sure my mom can too, because I would come home a freaking basket case whenever he dropped me back off. I saw the original Friday the 13th. Uh, as well as The Shining, just within like weeks apart. Like he, we did that whole thing where he had visitation, where I was over there every other weekend, and um, and so uh, Friday the Thirteenth was released on May 9th. Uh, so and we were probably were always were going, you know, the opening weekend, and then The Shining opened uh, May 23rd. Uh, so that was a very traumatic month for me. To this day, as the, I'm the world's biggest Stanley Kubrick fan, and to this day, I cannot watch that movie. I love Jack Nicholson, uh, but, and I you know, love Stanley Kubrick. That movie, I <laughs> if you have any therapists out there that want to help me get over this, but I'm not kidding. I still I still can't watch it. It still freaks me me out when I think about it. Uh, but I also got some great memories, uh, of course. Um, the very first like like feature length uh, Charlie Brown film, Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown and Don't Come Back came out. Uh, remember the all the the Herbie series of movies uh, began around that time. The first Mad Max film. Um, I don't think I saw was aware of that until uh, the Road Warrior a few years later. We were talking about country music and of course with you know. Uh, um, Bronco Billy with Clint Eastwood, any which way you can. Uh, Coal Miner's Daughter. And who can forget, of course, the Blues Brothers, the first airplane movie. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, Cuddy Say Can Hang. I still think of that all the time. I had a buddy of mine who used to say that all the time. Uh, and I remember the Blue Lagoon was kind of a big deal. This was like a Brooke Shields thing. And I was too young to understand the, the controversy. But I think that it was something um, along the lines of, I, I, I don't know, uh, really, to be to be honest with you. I, I just remember there was a big hoopla around big about Brooke Shields being in that movie and uh and uh anyway and lots of fun stuff again with um god with George Burns and Oh Heavenly Dog uh Cheech and Chong's next movie another country film Honeysuckle Rose uh and again of course On the Road Again with Willie Nelson uh, coming from that Caddyshack uh, so many great uh, Bo mentioned Xanadu with uh, Olivia Newton-John uh, earlier and uh, Smokey and the Bandit 2 and uh, on our uh, soundtrack on our, on our playlist 1980 we play some songs from that so many great great stuff uh, that came out uh, that year again we mentioned uh, Oh God Book 2 with George Burns 
uh, another movie that uh, me and my dad went to go see, and this one kind of this one actually kind of traumatized me too. Keep in mind, I was only six years old, but uh, I have great memories of it. Is that we went and saw uh, the second Superman film. I think we actually saw both of them at the theater, if I recall. Uh, my dad was is a big big Superman fan. That was kind of his hero as a kid, and he always talked about Superman and any sort of reference to Superman. He always seemed to enjoy and. And uh, and that was a big deal. But I can remember, like, that movie for a six-year-old in 1980 was scary. It scared the shit out of me. Like, uh, it was exciting, but it was also terrifying. Those villains. And I can remember him sitting in the bar. Uh, I don't know, he, like, lost his powers or something, I can remember. And, and so he kind of got his ass kicked. And then when he got his powers back, he went back. And, you know, he wanted to see him kick the guy's ass and all that. Uh, but it, it was terrifying. Um but at the same time, uh, thrilling. So I've got great memories of that. I remember uh, Private Benjamin uh, with Goldie Hawn. Uh, I remember that being being a, a fun a fun deal, and some other stuff that I didn't pick up uh, pick up on until later, like Raging Bull. You know, I was of course too young to appreciate it then. But Flash Gordon, I remember of course. Who could forget uh, Robin Williams making his movie debut as as Popeye of all people, and. Uh, and of course, we that December stir crazy with Richard Pryor, and uh, and of course, any which way you can. Also, Clint Eastwood film, both of them featuring our guest uh, Barry Corbin. Uh, there was some stuff. Of course, I was mentioned nine to five. Uh, the jazz singer won um, the Palme d'Or at, at, at the the Cannes Festival that year. But, but again, like once again, just literally five days apart, stir crazy in any which way you can, both featuring our special guest, Barry Corbin, who is here to tell us uh, some great stuff about that. Now we're going on to movies. Uh, golly, The Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980. Do you remember those, those cards that we would collect that had the little pictures of the movie? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and of course, I remember we were so poor, but I remember getting, uh, and my poor mom, of course, she did the best that she could. And of course, we're living in a trailer, and she's got, at that time, four kids, later on, five. Um, and I remember that she, I'd gotten a model of the Millennium Falcon. And this is like one of those great childhood memories that you'll, you always will remember, and you always relive. And I was so excited to run to you guys' house to tell you that I had gotten this Millennium Falcon model. <laughs> yep. And then what it would be worth today. Oh, yeah. No kidding, right? But, but you know... Man, that's, I, remember, uh, I remember having a, you know, the big Darth Vader and the... I, had, I believe I had the Darth Vader and this wasn't the little bitty action figure. This was the one that was about there were 12 inches, yeah. Uh, yeah, foot tall. Yeah. And Paul had the Chewbacca. Yep. And I was so I jealous. I was so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, play, out in the yard playing with them, of course, you know, and then, uh, like saying, that was... I mean, just think. The line, spoiler here for all of you who haven't seen The Empire Strikes Back yet, but just think the birth of Luke. I am your father, began in 1980. I mean, it's the greatest decade ever. Look how much acid kicks, man. 
And we can't be talking about the world of sci-fi fantasy, uh, especially from 1980, without talking about the movie Flash Gordon. Uh, some of y'all younger people might uh, have seen the show Ted, um, where uh, the main character, uh, Mark Wahlberg, bonds with this like anthropomorphic teddy bear over the movie Flash Gordon. Sam Jones is actually in the film. Uh, it's like, I think they describe the movie as being so bad that it's good. And it is it is bad, but it is good. Uh, anyway, so happy uh, that Sam is here uh, with us. With once again that great soundtrack from Queen. So I'm going to play uh, the theme song uh, from Queen, from Flash Gordon. And man, we'll be right back with Flash Gordon himself, Sam Jones. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. <laughs> Will you destroy this uh, Earth? Later. I like to play with things a while. For annihilation.
Hi, this is Natalie Cox. I play Juno Eclipse in The Force Unleashed, and you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy okay. Turner. So yeah. I'm sitting down here with Flash Gordon, Sam Jones. Well, here we are, Roy. The savior of the universe yeah. right next to me. And you still look like the savior. We're doing it. We're still doing it. Still working on it, you know? And so, so how do you stay in such great shape? Oh, I, you know, I, I have a lot of kids. Yeah. Grandkids, and we're always competing, no matter what. And I told them, and, I, and it helps me because I told them when I'm 90, I'll still be able to do more pull-ups and push-ups and all of them. <laughs> <laughs> because you, but you're still you're still very much that character in your real life. How much of Flash Gordon is is in I, 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 I think there's similarity similarities are uncanny. Yeah. I mean, I'm a former Marine, you know, but once a Marine, always a Marine. That's right. I've always lived my life that way. Um, you know, I always helped out anybody. It's uh, you know struggling, meaning. Uh, any, any type of innocence has been abused or trying to be abused sure. or taken advantage, I'll come in and help out. But, yeah, I, I think, uh, and that's the purity of Flash Gordon. That's what he does. You know, uh, good is good and bad is bad, and that's not been, that's the purity of the character, of the movie, of the whole um, uh, comic strip, is that he's he's not been tainted. Right. He doesn't have any, I'm not saying, I mean, he doesn't have any superpowers. So um, it's it's the, the true purity and reality of, of of what he represents. But don't you think that it's you as the ambassador of the film is what's led to a lot of his longevity because you are very much that character? Well, I think it's helped. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never. I mean, some there were some uh, representatives in my early career who said, "Well, you you need to get away from Flash Gordon." I said, "Why? It's what I did. I'm very proud of it. It's part of me." And this is what I always bring to the table. And I can't be... That's right. I can't be somebody else. I can only be who I am. That's right. And, but uh, you own it in a very special way because a lot yeah. of people, like you said, think, oh, I don't want to be stereotyped. They want to get away from it. It's going to like... You, <laughs> you embrace it and love it and you yeah. are that character. And, well, thank you. and we're all the better for it. That's right. Uh, so... so so what are your plans for New Year's Eve? We're here, we're here in Dallas at the Marvel Nerdy New Year's. So are you excited about this? Well, yeah. They, it's, it's a wonderful platform for me and for the fans to come out here and to have one-on-one -on -one, you know, yeah. with us. And uh, we get to hear their story, too, so it's wonderful. For sure. Now, you did a screening at Richardson, uh, was it last night, right? And for Flash Oh, I Gordon. did at the Alamo Draft House. That's right. Yes. I wanted to be there. Yeah, the, the live commentary, which was a bit challenging. But it's wonderful. Oh, so, so what does that mean? So it wasn't like that a... means I'm talking during the actual movie. So the challenging part is uh, I have to talk when I'm not overlapping the actors on the film, okay. and it's very difficult to do that. It, it, the whole objective of doing live commentary over film is to talk about behind the scenes, what's going on behind the scenes when we're doing that that scene. Well, but you get to talk for like ninety minutes, uh, something like not, that. Not like nonstop or anything. Oh no, you can't. You gotta, you gotta let the audience listen to the dialogue. Well, I was thinking it was kind of like you know we're going to show the film and you were going to do a Q and A. I did a Q and A afterwards as well. So you, did, so you did, so you did both. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, we, we got we to recreate the interview here just real fast. We've got to get time here. So we're just going to look at each other here. So we, just, we have to have an original photograph for uh, Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, no, we're just going to recreate the interview like we're just talking to each okay, other. Like yeah. this okay, yeah. So, um, so I, but I didn't know you were going to be talking, talking during the movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, of course. We'll look at this here. Of course. Yeah. So, what, what I learned, they just taught me, my kids. Yeah. If you take all your te emails, doesn't matter. Texting, 
if you just keep your text for 30 days, that'll free up a lot of storage for you. And I'll just put on 30 days. It deletes everything else after 30 days. I think text. That's a good tip because also yeah. if you send pictures a lot, you yeah. send, with one message, you might have like 100 pictures right. in there and you don't, yeah. you don't know it. And then, and then do the iCloud thing too. That, that helps a lot. And so, right. so, so, so we're good. can we do one iCloud? I saw my very first wrestling match, and I went on to become a lifelong wrestling obsessive. And and I don't know if you know this or not, but even for a while, I was even uh, a color commentary for uh, a, a for a couple of wrestling promotions uh, in Texas and in Oklahoma, uh, where I was the guy that was like the Jim, you know, the Jim Ross guy, you know, like the your head's broken in half and all that. But I, I I'll always remember being at your house. And you and I were watching uh, uh, Cowboy Bill Watts and Mid South Wrestling, and it was it was like Kamala and somebody else. But I just remember what an, an incredible impression that that had on me, and it really never ever left. W what are your memories of you and I watching wrestling back then? My, my favorite at the time I was. Jimmy Superfly Snooker. That's right. That's right. You were a big yeah. Snooka fan, and that's what I always yeah. tell my friends. Yep. And uh, you know, it's a shame about what you know what happened. What happened with him? You know, unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, but I remember you were a big Superfly Snooka fan, and I remember it was the great Kabuki. He was the Japanese guy who blew the green mist. Yeah. And Kamala, he was the big African American, had the big the big yellow moon on his tummy, and he yep, did this yep. whole Ugandan uh, warrior thing and all that. And so, yeah. And uh, speaking of professional wrestling, uh, so many great wrestlers that are currently in the active product were actually born in 1980. Uh, Michelle McCool, I think she's kind of retired now. She's the Undertaker's wife, but. Uh, but man, so many great ones. Shelly Martinez, of course, Shinsuke Nakamura, Randy Orton, uh, Tyson Kidd. Uh, you guys remember he's a uh, Nettie Neidhart's husband. Dolph Ziggler, Shayna Baszler, The Miz, uh, Christy Hemme, uh, Sarah Del Rey, Mercedes, Mar Mercedes Martinez. God, I can't see her name. Mercedes Martinez, uh, Beth Phoenix, Hall of Famer, uh, and Cesaro. And then Barry Windham uh, made his... Uh, debut in 1980, and a little fun fact is that Barry Windham's best friend and tag team partner, um, Mike Rotundo, his uh, he has two sons currently wrestling in the WWE. Of course, you know Bray Wyatt, and Bray Wyatt's uh, real name is Windham Rotundo, named after uh, his dad's best friend Barry, who made his debut uh, in 1980. And, uh, you know, a couple things is kind of cool. Uh, Bob Backlund was the PWI, which stands for Pro Wrestling Illustrated. He was the Wrestler of the Year. And we were talking about Jimmy Snuka. Him and Ray Stevens were actually the Tag Team of the Year. And, man, my man, Junkyard Dog. He was the, uh, the most inspirational um, Wrestler of the Year. Uh, Terry Taylor got one Rookie of the Year. And uh, golly, and, mo and most popular, if you can believe it, was Mr. Wrestling 2, who went on to have a great run uh, in Mid-South. Now, I know 
many don't consider wrestling to be a sport, but uh, uh, it is it is competitive. It is athletic. Um, and anyway, it's very physical. Uh, lots of sports news, uh, specifically something very personal for me um, in 1980. Uh, first, just for specifically for Arkansas, like I said, you heard me and Bo talking about growing up in of a Summit Road in Benton, Arkansas, which is a town um, just a little bit, uh, excuse me, a little bit north of, uh, I'm sorry, south of Little Rock. Uh, was the Alabama Crimson Tide. I remember this because my dad is from Alabama, from Mobile, and and uh, he had some, he's not really a sports guy, but he just still had, you know, loyalties or for whatever reason, he was proud to be from Alabama. For whatever reason, I, I don't know. Um, but the Alabama Crimson Tide won 24-9 over the Arkansas Razorbacks uh, to claim the college football national championship. Now, uh, I remember watching... Um, uh, college basketball. Like, keep in mind, Arkansas doesn't have any NFL or our major league teams, or for baseball or any of the big four sports. So, uh, col- the college level is very important uh, in that part of the world. And and so, uh, so you know, the Arkansas Razorbacks being you know in the college you know national championships. That's like the Super Bowl uh, to you know to people, especially nineteen eighty uh, in the eighties. Uh, that was in early January. In February, um, of course, who can forget uh, ABC Sports announcer Al Michaels delivers his now immortal line, Do You Believe in Miracles? It was in the closing moment of the Winter Olympics, uh, and it was the, the medal round men's ice hockey game, of course, between the United States uh, and, at the time, the heavily favored uh, Soviet team uh, f- uh, from, from Russia. Uh, we are, we now know what is called the miracle on ice. Uh, U.S. Of course, we boycotted the Summer Olympics uh, in Russia uh, that summer over um, some shenanigans, of course, that uh, that uh, that were being played out during the Cold War uh, because of uh, the USSR. But um, but man, when the, having the Cold War played out on the, the you know on the ice. Uh, for the hockey, uh, you know, teams there during the Winter Olympics was just magic. Again, the miracle on ice. Uh, something else kind of crazy. Uh, the, the Los Angeles Lakers uh, at the time, Magic Johnson was a rookie. Um, Philadelphia was really prominent uh, in sports that year. Uh, the first thing happening, of course, was that uh, they were in, you know, the NBA Finals against the Lakers. Again, we're having to face a, a, a Magic Johnson and his rookie year. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was not uh, there. He was sidelined. Uh, but for the Lakers to come back and beat the Philadelphia 76ers was, was quite a big deal. But uh, I'm going to save the other Philly one here to, for the end. Um, but because uh, as you heard, uh, you know, Bo and I talking about this. And I'm going to get more into this because this is quite personal. Uh uh, on when we do the film uh, project, it's going to kind of chronicling uh, some things. I've been working on a on a very personal film project based upon using some old reel to reel footage. Uh, I'm going to be adding with some new uh, interviews. It's just kind of like a love letter to my family, a, a time capsule for my children. Uh, but ultimately, it might be something that you might actually see uh, publicly. Um, so. Uh, so I, I don't want to give too much of it away, but it would be impossible to uh, remiss or uh, to, to not reflect on the importance of what happened uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies in 1980, then winning their very, very first ever World Series with the greatest team ever with Pete Rose and my favorite player of all time, Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton. 
just in my opinion, they're the 27 Yankees. They're the best team ever. If you could see this office right now, uh, 40 years later, my entire office is covered in Philadelphia Philly stuff. And and reason why it's so personal to me, because as you heard Bo say, I got to, I got sick that year. Um, just like good old boys do, we were playing out in the creek and we were sticking our hands in the in the, the creek to try to catch, catch uh, crawdads, as we call them, um, with our hands. And I guess there was something in the water. And I don't know. I I don't know. I really don't know how, how I caught it, but they they traced it back to that. But it was a very very rare rare. Uh, excuse me, a very rare form of scarlet fever to the point where they didn't think I was going to make it. And so this this is a not just a big moment in my life. This is a big moment in my family's life. Obviously very traumatic. Um, and it was something that defined not only that year, but kind of went on to kind of define my life in, in many ways. There was, I'm a very healthy, fit guy, uh, but there were some uh, health issues that, that came out of that that I still deal with. Uh, one of the reasons is on top of everything else, I have a very rare blood type. I'm allergic to penicillin, which in 1980 was pretty much all you had. Um, and I'll get into this more later because it gets it can kind of be a bit of a bummer. But I just wanted it to you to know now that my um, my mom was there for me. She slept. She, we had, we had no money. We lived in a trailer in nowhere, Arkansas. I don't even know what our insurance situation was like at that time. But uh, you know, I got the care that I needed, and I was in the hospital for about six weeks. And she was you know almost lost her job. She was there with me. Uh, in the bed next to me um, for that entire thing, and so it's it's an emotional thing to talk about, you know. And uh, but what also got me through it uh, was that the the Phillies, man, I was you know that was my first World Series, and I was in a hospital bed, and those guys were just like gods to me, just a lifeline, uh, and uh, at a very crucial time when I needed it, and that's where it all started for me, you know, with baseball and baseball card collecting, and so something terrible happened, but something beautiful and wonderful and something I've enjoyed you know my entire life since then that is a big part of my life is my passion and love for baseball uh, for the Phillies organization and specifically uh, Mike Schmidt and, and, and that team uh, so anyway so 1980 as you can see was a, is a, is a big deal uh, uh, for me and again, I hope you enjoyed uh, Blondie with uh, The Tide is High. We wanted to tell you that uh, just like when I do these special episodes, I always make uh, a great playlist. I had this idea that I wanted to do these little snapshots of every single year of my life and what I was listening to. Uh, but before Spotify, they became something that was uh, rewarding, but so much work because I'm a completist. So I'm the kind of person where I need to know every, literally every piece of recorded music that was recorded and released in 1980. Uh, I had to make little rules for myself, like, okay, what, if it was a single in that year or whatever. Anyway, and then I would have to find the music and I'd have to turn them into MP3s and I'd have to burn it to a disc and I'd have to limit it to just the 80 minutes that the disc could hold. Spotify has freed me of all of that and I could make one of these things in about an hour uh, and, I, and we've done so. Uh, so definitely go uh, on to Spotify. I have a playlist under there. There'll be links for this under our uh, my website. But if you just go uh, to Tricky Kid, uh, and or just my name, Roy Turner, or DJ Tricky Kid on Spotify. Uh, again, we'll have links for it to check out all things 1980. And my goodness, you can't imagine, uh, it was such a great year for hard rock uh, and metal, man. 
Uh, Queen came out, of course, with another one, Bites the Dust. That's a song I think about all the time. Uh, Van, and also the Flash soundtrack. So there's a little music and movie little combo again for you. Van Halen's uh, Women and Children First album, uh, ACDC's, of course, Back in Black, uh, their first record with... um, with Brian Johnson, of course, we had lost Bon Scott earlier that year, unfortunately, in 1980. And we'll get into that, too. We, we lost a, a, quite a few people in 1980. Uh, but Loverboy, 38 Special, The Scorpions, Ozzy, all this great British heavy metal with Judas Priest and, and British Steel, Iron Maiden's first record, and Motorhead's Ace of Spades all came out with, like, that day or, like, that week. Could you imagine... Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, and Motorhead—all their seminal records coming out within like the you know the same time there again. Ozzy's Blizzard of Oz, uh, great R&B stuff. Prince, you know, of course, just dropped the bomb of Dirty Mind. Diana Ross had a great record that year. Um, cool in the Gang, Celebration—you hear that everywhere. Um, the Pointer Sisters uh, came out with a great record again. Um, Rest in peace uh, to uh, to Bonnie Pointer who uh, who passed away a few weeks ago. Um, Billy Joel had a, of course, his record a great at the time was kind of considered like a bit of a new wave record. It was kind of a bit of a break from what he had been doing. And yeah, you hear you may be right, and it's still rock and roll to me. Uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates, you make my dreams come true. Just a Devo. Talking Heads, and of course, you know we we mentioned Blondie, uh, the Ramones. The police, uh, just lots and lots of, uh, of of great, 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 great music. So definitely check out our playlist uh, on Spotify. And again, I'll have links for that up on our website. And I'll be posting about it on uh, my DJ page on Facebook called DJ Tricky Kid, as well as under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Make sure you look for us on all of your social media. Make sure you're subscribing. Uh, check us out on YouTube under Tricky Kid TV. Lots of exclusive content there. That's only there. Great videos. But uh, we're, subscribe to us while we're while you're on Spotify. Go to Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Spotify and click subscribe. We're in the Google Play Store for all you Android users, and uh, where I'm on personally on Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid and Twitter under Tricky Kid and the number two. Another f- couple of fun uh, music little notes was, of course, you know, um, British Steel from Judas Priest came out in 1980. And the guy who's currently playing guitar uh, for the band, Richie Faulkner, now was born in 1980. <laughs> uh, he plays K.K. Downing. Uh, and so that's, that's kind, of a, kind of a neat little dichotomy. Also, in 1980, um, uh, Kiss uh, played uh, their first concert uh, without Peter Chris. Uh, which introduced Eric Carr to the world at the Palladium uh, in New York City. And a few other different things also began were actual people. <laughs> uh, I mentioned Richard Falk- Richie Faulkner from Judas Priest, and uh, he just they just had a daughter. Uh, he's married to George Lynch's um, uh, daughter. I mean, yeah, and they had a child together. And George Lynch, of course, is in a band called KXM with uh, Doug Pennick from King's X that we're currently doing the documentary on. Uh, but yeah, but Zoe Deschanel and Max Greenfield, both from the New Girl, uh, Jason Siegel and Kristen Bell, from you know uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, 
we talked about uh, wrestlers earlier, Randy Orton, let's see, uh, both Jessica Simpson and Christian Aguilera, uh, Isaac Hansen, Macaulay Culkin, both Michelle Williams, Kim Kardashian, Ryan Gosling, Eliza Dushku, uh, all born in 1980, man. Uh, and just like in 1980, uh, things beginning, things also ended, of course, unfortunately. Uh, Hawaii Five O aired its series finale uh, on CBS, uh, and as long also with the Rockford Files, both of those ended. Um, and we lost. Let's see: Jimmy Durante, Alfred Hitchcock, Steve McQueen, and three absolute giants in the world of music. I mean, is, does it really get any more bigger than John Lennon from the Beatles? Tragically, uh, same goes for Bon Scott and Ian Curtis. Of course, from Joy Division, all three gone way too early, way too young, and under very tragic and very sad circumstances. So, there was a palpable sadness that also kind of hung over 1980. It was a, you know, it was kind of a joyous time, and a kind of a time of renewal and rebirth and and things like that. But there was something very palpable that was just that was looming over, and it was uh, a lot of it was directed at and, and responsible for that was the death of John Lennon uh, and of course then Bon Scott and, uh, and Ian Curtis. And for the very first time in America, music was now truly portable. Of course, you had the big boom boxes uh, from the 1970s. You've seen a lot of hip hop, um, you know, of course, you know, archive uh pictures and god knows i wanted one and had one and still have a giant boom box i've been kind of been digging this um there's a new company out right now that is has these giant uh boom boxes called i always said jam box i heard people say boom box i always said jam box but but you know what i mean when i say boom box and the company's called Bump Box. And I've seen like Mixmaster Mike have them. Of course, I saw Post Malone with one. These things are huge. And you're thinking, well, gosh, I've got the little like Google machines and little Alexas. I'm a, I'm a DJ, so I've got a big PA system. But this is something that's portable that has like the, where you don't have to set anything up. It's just portable and you hit play, Bluetooth, and it is supposed to be massive. And I want one. They're very expensive though. They're like $800 for like the big one, $500 for a decent one. And I think they start, I think, somewhere around maybe like uh, a little under $200. So it'd be something you really would, would want. But, um, and I still, I still have my boombox from the late 80s, early 90s. So, But anyway, but in July 1st, to kick off the summer, man, or right in the middle of summer, uh, the Sony Walkman uh, went on sale, um, actually in Japan. Um, uh, I'm so sorry. Let me say that again. Uh, to kick off the summer, uh, Sony Walkman uh, went on sale in June of 1980, just to kick off the summer. I remember those ads, and there was like the hot girl with the hot shorts and the roller skates, and it seemed like everybody was on roller skates in 1980. Another kind of weird kind of fun fact, or I don't know how, how fun it is, but just kind of a thing. Um, I am completely obsessed uh, with right now with a Beck album that came out like 15 years ago, and I was into it then. But I've just recently rediscovered it. Uh, the album is called album is called is uh, Guerra, uh, which of course is white boy, blondie, whatever. Um, can be kind of used, and it's you know it's a thing that Beck made about his time growing up in uh, in Southern California and a Chicano neighborhood. And uh, it's got a lot of it's a, it's a weird song anyway. The song the song under called called K on the What's up, Blondie? Or what's up, White Boy? And it's a f great fun song. It's a great 
summer song and right now when I was just putting together just a just a, a summer playlist anyway just to listen to not just you know from 1980 but just to listen to right now um, I added it and and I've been just enjoying you know all the different slang and stuff and and I thought it'd be kind of fun to kind of do a bit of a translation find out what the words were I don't really I uh, you know I, I speak a little bit of Spanish growing up in Texas but, uh, but there was one that I could not understand what he was saying or figure it out and even when I would look it up people couldn't translate it and what I learned was was that there's a line where he says uh, he says run did it run did run did run and he says Amara Salvatrucha in the midnight sun and on YouTube or wherever listen to it they actually edited it so I thought it was like a curse word so that was kind of you know that was kind of my motivation like what, what dirty word is Beck saying in Spanish here that has to cut it out but unfortunately i think the reason why they cut it out is that maricela trucha uh is actually is known as ms13 is like this notorious international criminal gang uh in california that was just as brutal as they come and still they're around uh and what do they have in common with uh what we're talking about here is that they began uh their reign of terror uh in 1980 so I thought that was kind of funny where the, the two worlds kind of mix that here on one hand, I'm making this summer mixtape uh, of just songs I'm listening to that I'm into right now and doing my research for 1980 uh, and the two intersected. So uh, still a fun song though, uh, Kate Undergaro uh, from Beck. You know, it's so funny. I was just talking about just randomly about the Beck song uh, called Kate Undergaro. Uh, it means what's up blondie and I've been kind of obsessed with it and he says um, he says Masas Salvatrucha in the Midnight Sun and I was like well what is that and I looked it up and it was MS-13 this very violent uh, gang from LA and I was talking about it and then just literally today just today I guess because it's the 40th anniversary of their beginning in 1980 that's why I was talking about them uh, that the government announced a plan to bust them up uh, today so I thought that was kind of a of a, of a strange uh, coincidence uh, in another movie I remember so much from 1980 that, that summer got that summer just seemed to go on forever don't you miss that you know God those summers were you know it's like now it's like You'd go back to school after three months, and and uh, and summers were three months back then. I know these kids today are only, only getting like two months. They get out like June something or another, and have to go back the second week of August. We got out May twenty fifth, back September the fifth after before Memorial Day, and then after uh, Labor Day weekend. Um, and you come back and go, hey, remember me? And it was like, dude, I just saw you three months ago. But back then, you really were. You were like, you remember me? Could you imagine spending nine months with somebody every day and then not seeing them for three months and asking them, hey, man, remember me? <laughs> anyway, but that summer, July 11, 1980, My Bodyguard was released in theaters. And that was the film debut of Adam Baldwin and an uncredited Jennifer Bales. By 1980, I want to say it was the 80, it, was, it had to have been the 86, 87 school year, yeah? And yep. so, so we left in 82. So this is like five and a half years late, like five and a half years later. And we were now up in Jacksonville. We had lived in Little Rock for a few years. And, and I was in seventh grade. And it was right in the middle of the school year, like I told you. And there was this new kid in class. And by this time, kids in school weren't calling me too. They were calling me Roy. 
and uh, and you know, so I still I still introduced myself as two to my to my friends, but like it, you know, I had to tell them that, you know, like they knew me as Roy, and I, I'd be like, okay, well, you can call me too. Once we became friends, and uh, and I was in class, and this kid I didn't recognize at all goes. Hey, too. And he wasn't like, you know, this big deal. Like, oh, my like oh my God, are you two Turner from Summit Road? And, you know, like I would have been if I had recognized him, you know. Right. And, but he, he was just like, like he had seen me, you know, just the other day. Like, no, he just goes, oh, hey, too. And I was like, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I was like, hey, man, I go, how do you, how do you know me as that? He goes, what do you mean? It's Paul. I was like. Holy shit! And now I'm like doing cartwheels and I'm flipping out and freaking out and I'm like grabbing him like he just won the World Series and and uh, and and he was just kind of like yeah I mean he was just not that excited like he was like oh hey there you are cool hey and so so you would think that for the rest of the school year that he and I would have been thick as thieves and as close as it, as we ever were and I was so excited about it. And he didn't really have, he didn't really seem to be that interested. And I was just like, I, mean, I, I ran, when I got home from school that day, I could not wait for my mom to come home. And I was like, you're never going to believe who I saw at school today. Because, yeah, I mean, even though, you know, five long years, and that was kind of a, you know, let's see, ages eight to 13, that's a, that's a long time in a kid's life. But, man... You and I collected two things that were currency. They were our entire lives besides our bikes. And that was those NFL pencils and yep. those little miniature NFL helmets. Yep, out of the quarter machine. Right at, you, would, you would put the quarter in and turn the dial. And you had the greatest collection in the world. And whenever I would come over and I would be in your room, I would just sit there and that's one of those things that you can never, ever, uh, you can't teach that. It's not something that you have as, as, too often as an adult. I like to think I've kind of re- re- retained a lot of my, uh, I mean, I'm a grown man and I'm mature, I'm saying, but I've been able to kind of, you know, kind of prolong the magic, as it were, and still try to, to hold on to those wonderful, magical moments of youth. But it's like when I would just stare at those helmets, golly, it was magical. I, I can't tell you how it just set my soul on fire. And it's like as an adult, you're like, God, I would do anything, that, you know. I mean, I guess now like my children make me feel that way now. But um, but uh, golly, the, the, the best memories ever. And, and this is for me, Bo, this is like Christmas right now because I can't tell you how many times – in my head, I've had this conversation or would imagine what this conversation would be like, man, you know, like, like, oh, man, I would love to talk to him again and, and talk about that stuff and all that. Um, I uh, so, so for me, that's that's those are, are some of the best times we're going to get into when I see you in person. That's when we're going to tell the clothesline story and and we're going to get get more uh, into the bikes because we got those bicycles were our entire life. Do you do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was, you know, that that was us. That was us. That's right. I, I couldn't, you know, I, I, I almost feel emotional uh, hearing you say that because those bikes were us. You know? 
Um, so how much longer did you still have your bike? Oh, good, good, good. That's... You know, I remember, uh, I remember down at the dead end, they they had built a big hill. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I would, I say, I was a little bit older, and I hit that hill, and I thought I had warped the rim, and so I'm thinking I was probably closer, you know, to fourteen, fifteen, uh, you know, and then at the age of, I guess we left Summit when I was. Sometime in my ninth grade year, uh, and actually moved up by the high school, and you know, we just like you, it was, my mom worked and dad, you know, did whatever he did, and uh, we actually moved up there to a big, nice, you know, four, five bedroom house with a huge den. Wow. Uh, and a built-in swimming pool. Wow, that's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and we, you know, we lived there, we didn't live there long, I mean, maybe, you know, being young, it just seemed like it, it, the time went by quick, but I would guess a year, and then mom and dad split up, then we ended up back on Summit for about a year. At that Uh, that same house? Yes, my aunt and them, we had let them move into that house, and so we ended up back there, me and Paul and my mom. That's where my mom met my second step or my first stepdad, and then we ended up. That's when we moved to Jacksonville. Oh, that you know, we moved out to North Pulaski, out by Dan Hampton's house. Well, I mean, of course, obviously, that's when y'all moved up to Jacksonville because that's where I ran into Paul at school. <laughs> you yep. know, yep. so so let, let's walk me through that timeline here just for a second. So, okay, so um, what year uh, did you? You graduated at 18. In what year? Uh, I graduated in 88 at 17, and I turned, you know, I... Right. Uh, I turned 18 about 15 days after we graduated. Got it. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you would have turned... That's right, because you were you were born in 1970. So, yep. so okay. So, help me. So, I, we left in 82, and you said that you left your ninth grade year... We all went up to the high school, so that would have been, let's see, that would have been what, 85? 85. Yeah. So so you guys were there for, for three more years, at least three more years. Yeah. And then you were at the by the high school for about a year, you said. Yeah. And then what year did you move back to Summit Road and back to that house? Jacksonville. Yeah, she had, you know she worked in a Little Rock anyways. Okay. So, so she would drive me to Benton, from Jacksonville, and uh, I, I survived about two more months before finally I just decided to go to North Pulaski. 
in, in, in his North Pulaski where you graduated from? Uh, no. Uh, actually, we left there and moved to Bigelow, Lion Mountain. You, you don't, don't have no idea where it is, do you? I don't. about of course the prominence of country music uh in 1980 uh we're talking about barry corbin and and it was just everywhere it was just in the movies again the the stars of country music suddenly were becoming movie stars uh and man there was probably nothing more prominent in 1980 uh in that in that world than kenny rogers um he had a song from 1978 of course everybody knows called the gambler you know you gotta know when to hold them you gotta know when to fold them and again, I was originally planning on doing a full-on Kenny Rogers tribute all by itself, and I just may. It would be so much fun, and I, I love him so much, and was so sad that, that, that we lost him this year. Um, so, uh, so anyway, by 1980, uh, that song and its storytelling, that's what was so great about the country music back in the day, is they told these great stories that could have been books or even movies, and, and this, this actually proves it. Uh, so by 1980, uh, The Gambler from 78, that song was so popular, they made a made-for-television film uh, called The Gambler. And of course, starring Kenny Rogers uh, as Brady Hawks, this fictional Old West gambler. Um, and it was just, it was so much fun, and it was so great. And... Um, I'm actually I'm not gonna play the gambler because it came came from 1980 it came from 78, uh, but I mentioned Kim Carnes earlier who I also was hoping to get on the show this week. Again, Kim, if you're out there, give me give me a call wherever you are. Um, but I am gonna play a song that he did with Kim Carnes, who actually Kim Carnes wrote an entire record for Kenny that came out that year called Gideon, and they had a great single. Uh, called uh, Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer. Uh, it's a great duet. I love this song so much, and it really sums up. I can remember riding around in my mom's station wagon that she called Casper uh, listening to this song. So, uh, But a funny note about The Gambler is that it was so popular that after airing that April, it aired... Uh, on April 8th, 1980, and they went on to do like four more films. There actually is a Gambler 5. <laughs> How cool is that? So every couple of years, uh, you know, with, you know, with this whole series, they would pick it back up again. Uh, in 83, you had the, the Gambler, The Adventure Continues, and you would look forward to this. I remember when in 83, when that sequel came out, we were like, oh, he's back. And then four years later in 87, with part three, The Legend Continues. Uh, and then four more years, 91, uh, was The Luck of the Draw. And then three years later, 94, part five came out, playing for keeps. So it's like, who right now is watching The Gambler part five? I know I would like to. <laughs> uh, a box set came out that I actually have on my, uh, on my wish list. But for whatever reason, I don't think it includes part five. You know how those things work with licensing and you have to get permission and somebody else owns the rights and that kind of bullshit. But um, 
and, I, and you know, I'm sure there's probably not much of a, a huge demand for it. But uh, anyway, I, I aim while we're stuck in this pandemic, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch the entire Gambler series <laughs> if I can find them. Uh, but anyway, once again, rest in peace to the great Kenny Rogers. Uh, what a great thing. I can't wait to get to 82 when we talk about six pack and and you, you heard um Last week, if you listened to uh, Barry Corbin and I were talking about it, because, of course, he's in that movie as a sheriff and all that. So, anyway, uh, once again, uh, rest in peace to the great Kenny Rogers. And this is Don't Fall in Love with a Dreamer, his duet with Kim Carnes from the album Gideon from 1980. And we'll be right back with more from all things 1980. Like I've done so many times I was so sure This would be the night You closed the door And wanted to stay with me And it'd be so easy To tell you I'd stay Like I've done so
Howdy folks, this is Chet Garner, host of The Day Tripper. You're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with host Roy Turner. Talk about some some of the best moments, the most iconic moments in television. Uh, a lot of it happened and started in 1980 or took place in 1980. It's just amazing how all this came together in one year. And forgive me for repeating ourselves. I've been producing this this episode over the last few weeks, so it's uh, over three hours of stuff, and so I'm not so sure what, what I've said and what I haven't said, but uh, I want to kind of give our editors a bit of a break. And so if you hear something more than once, it was just because it was just worth saying again. How's that? Anyway, but television, 1980, Man, uh, God, so many things again started that year. Things that I loved so much. Uh, Richie Rich, uh, the cartoon, my, my favorite Saturday morning cartoon that me and my son Miles now enjoy via the Boomerang app on on, uh, on our iPhone. It's a great app. It's got all the great old stuff. Uh, Richie Rich, the Smurfs, even the old Laugh Olympics with Scooby-Doo was hard to find. Heathcliff started that year. Thundar the Barbarian. What 80s kid doesn't love that? Uh, but also... Uh, uh, BET, uh, the Black Entertainment uh, Network, launched in uh, Black Entertainment Television launches in the United States uh, as a block of programming on the USA Network. Uh, it took them about three years to become their own full-fledged channel, but the actual, but the roots of it start right there uh, in the very beginning uh, uh, on January twenty-fifth, nineteen eighty. Uh, next month, February, um, everybody will remember this on CBS. Walter Cronkite. This is back when you actually had journalists uh, that you could trust. <laughs> I digress. You know, it's, it's just so sad that we live in this world where, you know, we have we have politicians trying to you know manipulate things and call things like fake news, and we have you know Fox News and their agenda, and it's twenty four hour. It just becomes noise. At one point, uh, there were people that you actually believed in and, and trusted, uh, not blindly, but they just they were able to do their jobs well enough where you believed them, like Dan Rather, uh, who was still uh, a pretty big force to be reckoned with via Twitter and social media and things like that. But I just want to put into perspective the Walter Cronkite. Uh, you couldn't find anybody that didn't like him. There was no Republican or Democrat thing. He was the authority, and he listened. And so when he announced his retirement uh, from CBS Evening News to take place uh, about, a, about a year later, uh, he didn't actually retire until March of 81. But when he made that announcement, it was, uh, it was something that I remember and that everybody felt. Uh, That's Incredible. There's a great, there was a great show called That's Incredible. Um, it was, I guess, kind of like what you would see now of like crazy YouTube videos. But uh, it debuted the in March, uh, and then everybody remembers, of course, Red Fox and Sanford and Son. Uh, well, they tried to revive it. it. It didn't last very long, but it was just a show called Sanford. Uh, it was a short-lived American uh, TV series, and of course, it was a sequel to, of course, like I said, Sanford and Son. Um, it started on March 15th of 1980, but only lasted uh, one season until uh, till July of, of 81. And this is the biggest moment in television, not only that year, but of the 80s, and maybe one of, of all time. You're talking about the, the top five moments of just television, the things people remember, uh, you know, when JFK got shot, Live Aid, this is right up there with it, man. On March 21st, on the season finale of Dallas, and it's so great because we were talking with Barry Corbin, who was, you know, on the show that season. Uh, it was on the finale. J.R. Ewing is shot by an unseen assailant, and he led to this catchphrase of 
who shot JR? Now, if you grew up in the 80s, there isn't any American that doesn't know the who shot JR thing, man. And some people still say it to, to this day. I um, I remember my dad is a was a, uh, a big beer drinker and and, beer, and I, th- I don't know. You might have to look this up. I'm thinking about doing an entire episode about this, but beer can collecting was kind of a, a prominent thing for whatever reason in, in the among adult men in the mid to late 1970s. My dad was very much a part of that, and I remember how proud he was. They they had issued a a J.R. Ewing beer, and this was this very sought-after thing. Back then, it was there was a thing called Billy Beer. Uh, the president, Jimmy Carter, had a, a younger brother named Billy, and uh, I don't know. I really, to this day, do not know the story. I'd like to find that out, but I can remember that there was just this hysteria around trying to get this Billy Beer, and then when the J.R. Ewing beer came out, uh, it was you know, a big, big deal. And it's not like we have now where you have the internet and all this craft beer everywhere and which makes the beer experience so much better, but it also, it does minimize the the collectability of things. Um, So that I, you know, again, who shot JR and keep on, this was just the finale. So you're going to have to wait until the fall to find out. We'll get to that in a second because uh, let's see in June, uh, it was, um, excuse me, uh, June 23rd, uh, that summer, the David Letterman show. I mean, think about that. David Letterman started in 1980. Uh, debuted on NBC. Um, didn't quite go over well. It was actually it was a morning show. It wasn't the late night with David Letterman that we know. Didn't quite go over well with a morning audience. Uh, and it got canceled that October. Uh, but then he would, of course, go on to you know the the big fame of the, of the late night with uh, with Dave Letterman. But it started as a morning show uh, in June um, at that time. Uh, the Young and the Restless airs its first one hour long episode, and of course the the evil Victor Newman uh, or Eric Braden joins uh, the cast as as Victor Newman. Um, I have a confession to make. I actually. I was looking up, I think I told this story already, but I found a collector and actually bought like a stack of like DVRs of the old Young and the Restless stuff from the late 80s because I had always thinking about it and that whole thing with Brad being in the cage and all that. I haven't watched them yet. I'm almost scared to because I'm like, oh God, I don't want to, I have such great memories of that time. But uh, but that was, of course, much later, almost 10 years later, seven, eight years later. Uh, there was a spinoff of Dukes of Hazard, of course. There was the, you know, Roscoe Pico Train was the villain, but there was the, the good cop that Daisy liked named Enos, and he got his own show for, uh, I think, just a season. But Too Close for Comfort, which was a freaking stalwart in our house with, uh, you know, with Ted Knight as the cartoonist and all that. We really, really watched that a lot. Tom Hanks's first uh, um, thing, uh, Boozum Buddies, where you know him and his friend were living, kind of like what uh, the Three's Company thing, where he was, they were having to pretend to be women, so they could live with women and all that. I think with Three's Company, you know, Jack Tripper had to pretend he was gay. Uh, Magnum PI started the CNN network, which, gosh, you know, too bad, but uh, but that started. Um, in 1980 uh and again like i said and now on to the jr thing so finally uh i was going to tell you this so finally also on november the 21st the mystery of who shot jr is solved 
the revelation and spoiler alert. I'm going to give you a second to literally close your ears if you've never seen Dallas and have always wanted to and you've got the box sets and you're ready to rock. Um, it's the revelation that Sue Ellen Ewing's sister, Kristen Shepard, who was played by Mary Crosby, was responsible and it draws like I think the biggest record of any time I think like MASH's finale is it would be up there as well but uh, just a great year uh, for television uh, and movies all types of different stuff um, fun little facts here um, you know we talk about the Empire Strikes back another big movie that people remember from the 90s is uh, of course Goodfellas and you might remember that that whole thing with Henry Hill and the Latanza heist and all that for where he gets arrested for in the movie, um, he gets arrested, of course, for, for the crime. And that actual arrest actually also took place uh, in 1980. was we left in 87 and I only went back to Arkansas like I think twice I went back uh, I feels like it feels like I went back uh, one time for like a couple of weeks to like see my dad like around like 91 or so 92 uh, and then and that was not good and then and then I went back in 96 for his dad's funeral my, 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 my granddad um, and so that was it. And then what happened was, was that I got, me and my wife Jocelyn, we got married last year. And uh, last June, not this past, not not like this month, but a year ago. And we were going to go, my place, like my number one place on earth that I've always wanted to go to and have always dreamed about going to was Iceland. And uh, Jocelyn's really big into, in she's like you, she loves to go camping. And she's really into camping stuff and camping gear and the whole bit. And so I was like, well, why don't we go camping in Iceland? Like, like we're not going to go there to go to uh, like a hotel and we're going to go out and see the nature and all that stuff. Well, anyway, so we were, uh, long story short, we were all set to, to go to Iceland for our honeymoon. And all the flights got canceled and it was just a nightmare we were so excited about going so she was like well we could still go camping and she always had always wanted to go to the ozarks my wife is from the philippines so she's uh she grew up uh, pretty much in texas but uh, but you know she, she's never been to arkansas would have no reason to go there and so she's like and i was like wow i was like okay cool and I was like, but you know what? You know, we may need to have to pass through Little Rock on the on the on the way on the way back because I haven't been there in a long time. And uh, so we ended up having this amazing honeymoon up in the Ozarks, and it was the best. It was the, the best of everything. We had the, the best time ever. And then when we, when we drove back, I really, of course, I wanted to go to Summit Road. We did end up having dinner in Benton, right there, just off the freeway, um, right there by the hospital there, uh, by Military Road. You know, like if you're on Military Road and you're going to take a right by the hospital to get back on the freeway and take a left to go to Hot Springs, right there on the frontage road, there was this little log cabin, little Italian joint. We ended up stopping there and eating. But, um, but uh, you know, at that time, uh, our first child, Miles, uh, was was very young. And so we, we really had to get back. And he was with his grandparents and all that. But uh, or, or else, I mean, I had so many. So, so that's why this trip to Arkansas is like, I got planned. It's like now I'm going to get to spend all the time that I want, and I'm going to get to see, you know, you and 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 some other people. And there's this whole other story that, you, that I don't that you don't know about about my granddad and and um, uh, 
and there were some people that helped me secure his headstone, and I'm, I'm going to go up there. And I don't know if you remember, but you remember a radio DJ uh, that was super popular in Arkansas, and I didn't know that this guy has gone on to be like this super respected like newscaster guy. But do you remember a guy named Craig O'Neill? Craig O'Neill. Yeah, you remember on, well, I think it was like Magic 105 with Craig Craig O'Neill, or that might have been his the rival station. But so, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think Craig O. Man, see, I thought he was on the countryside. He may have been. And then Tommy Outlaw Smith was on was the rock and roll side. God, I hadn't heard that name in thirty eight years, Bo. Holy yeah, and shit! So he and he is still he still is on one of the radio stations. Now he's been through you know a whole lot, but he's still on one of the radio stations here, or it's a sports radio or something with the ex Razorback football player and a couple basketball players. Wow. Uh, Yeah, that'd have been eighty four. That's right. Okay, uh, they was had a concert here, and me and my cousin was—I don't remember what was going on in Little Rock. That Craig O'Neill stopped us, and she asked us to if we wanted to help unload their van. And see, so he wouldn't have been there for the country channel, but we helped carry his stuff and set up a table. And unfortunately, I don't know where it is, but he gave us, you know, some little trinkets and stuff. And one was like this, and it wasn't gold, but it was gold in color. And it was a keychain, a hard ticket for the Jackson 5. Did you go to the concert? No, no. I I don't think that's what it was. You know, I was young, and I was like, I just figured it was a keychain, and it was a little hard gold-looking thing, you know, and... But yeah, I didn't go to that concert, but it was funny. That's how how I had actually spent the day following that crazy joker around. That is... Okay, I have... have, This is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because, first of all, there's so much to say about this. Okay, before we get to Craig O'Neill, here's what you should know. Okay, so of course, Michael Jackson in December of 82... See, I'm, I'm an encyclopedic knowledge of music. Forgive me. Uh, he releases the, the greatest album, the best-selling album of all time, of course, being Thriller. Uh, and it had, you know, like eight singles. But instead of there being a Thriller tour, and this is a whole other story, was that his family was giving him pressure and stuff to, like, like don't do a Michael Jackson Thriller tour Let's you know bring your brothers along. So if anybody tells you they saw the Michael Jackson Thriller tour, they're lying to you because there wasn't one. Uh, he was doing all the Thriller stuff on this tour, but he ended up doing a thing uh, called uh, with his brothers called the 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 Victory Tour, uh, and it was just called the Jacksons. And I mentioned Van Halen earlier. Of course, as you know, Eddie Van Halen, of course, is the one who plays the the, the guitar on the song "Beat It." You know that da na 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 na, right? Well, the only time that Eddie Van Halen ever performed with Michael Jackson performed that song was actually here in Dallas. Now, this was in 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 '84 before I we moved here, 
But it was. But what happened was is that those two tours crossed paths. It was the only time they, they crossed paths. Van Halen was in town to do three nights at the Old Reunion Arena, and they were there. And this is they were the biggest band in the world that year. They were, uh, you know, um, golly with Jump and Panama and all that. Well, Michael Jackson. And the Jacksons were doing two nights at the old Texas Stadium. You know, your holy ground, you being the Cowboys fan and all, right? Uh, so, so, and Van Halen would have played Texas Stadium if it hadn't been already occupied by the Jacksons. That's why they were having to do three nights at, in an arena, which ended up being the last uh, American performances with David Lee Roth until the reunion in 2007. So, so there's a lot of, of nostalgic there. And I always that, that was a tour I wish I'd always had seen. So there's that. Uh, but number two, I can't believe that you had this interaction with Craig O'Neill. Yep, yep. That, and like I say, it was. There's a lot about you know and that's some of the crazy stuff that I do remember about that summer is dealing you know following him around and uh remember the Pepsi challenge was big back then. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now and Go ahead. I don't remember I don't remember what you'd win if you could pick the Pepsi if you you know, if you pick the Pepsi over the Coke. But, you know, us being I don't know, me being kind of the weird way I am, uh I sat and just watched, you know, and uh when it was my turn to get up there and pick the Pepsi and the Coke, I didn't even have to take a drink. I just pointed and I said, that's the Pepsi right there. Because uh, <laughs> I, I had done figured out that the Pepsi was darker and had less fizzies. Yeah, yeah. So we went and recruited everybody we knew to go up there and pick the Pepsi that way. I don't remember if it was, I think it was T-shirts, you know, something like that. Right, right. And, uh, but yeah, I remember... And that was the that was the uh, groundbreaking Subway's six foot long sub. I think that's the year they released it. Oh wow! Well, I remember the next year in '81. Whenever you and I were there uh, in on Summit Road, uh, Pepsi member did this thing you might remember called the Pepsi Challenge Payoff. Uh, and it was this contest where they would give out a pretty large prize uh, to anyone who would gather. Remember the old Pepsi bottle caps. And you had to spell out the words Pepsi Challenge. And I don't remember what the actual uh, prize was. I mean, I guess it was a car. It was something pretty pretty significant to get people to do it. But but that's what also makes this episode so fun is that, you know, I could sit here and, and, and spout all these facts about 1980 and you know that was the year that David Letterman started and Richie Rich and Heathcliff and all those things that we enjoyed but anybody can look that stuff up for me what I wanted to paint was a people's history of a, of a very specific place and a specific time not just rallying off again like a bunch of facts that anybody can 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 hear about I'm just so excited to share with people uh, and also, you know, and also obviously share our own memories with you and I, with each other, about what our history was, what our memories were of 1980, that time, of course, on Summit Road. And, and the reason why I, I said I mentioned Craig O'Neill, because obviously he was a soundtrack to all that. But when I come up there, I, I've actually have been uh, been talking with, with Craig uh, online. Apparently, he's like this big 
newscaster guy now, and he's all respected in Arkansas. He's he's not the goofy guy that was doing the furniture commercials like back in the day. Uh, I I am trying to get him. Uh, this is something different than what you and I are doing here, but it's a long, crazy, weird story. But uh, my granddad's headstone got lost uh, through the, a bunch of weird, bad decisions my dad made. And in just literally just this year, I was able to get it and get it to um, into the right hands. You know, my, my dad was my granddad was in World War Two. He was a you know, he was a decorated veteran from World War II uh, and a great man. So we're going to kind of have like a bit of like a re kind of rededication ceremony there in Benton. When I come up there, that's one of the things I, I want to do. And I'm trying to get Craig O'Neill uh, to come out and kind of, you know, say a few words and kind of host it in a sense. And I told him the whole story and... And, and you know, because it's such a great story, uh, and he loved it. So, so hopefully, maybe at some point, uh, wouldn't that be funny if uh, when I come back, uh, you and I have uh, a 2020 adventure with uh, the great Craig O'Neill. <laughs> and then just how the how it's so different, but our paths have crossed the same, you know, the same person, the same people. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's what that is. What's crazy, you know? Yeah. But 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 here's here's the thing too, and like like no disrespect to Arkansas, okay? But here's was the big surprise for me, which 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 is what really got the ball rolling with all of this, was when we went to the Ozarks for our honeymoon, and I said, okay, hey, why don't we go through Little Rock? You know, you're my wife, and, and you know, and she was like, I, I, you know, I would really like to see where you grew up. Because, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, like, you know, she's 40, uh, and I'm, well, when we met that time, I, she was 40, I'm 45. Now she's 41, I'm 46. But, but you know, so it wasn't like that we were high school sweethearts. So there's a whole big chunk of my life that, you know, that she knows nothing about or, or right. had never seen. So I thought, okay, cool, you know, and, and, and so the only thing we had time to go to was we went to Grayback, the apartment complex I, I talked about, and we had been warned that the area was really in really bad shape and very dangerous, and something pretty special happened there that I, I'm going to wait to share with you in person. That's um, pretty out of this world that I'm excited to share with you. Uh, but obviously, I would love to have come to Summit Road, but I don't. I got to be honest. Like right now, if I were to get into a car and drive to Little Rock, I know I could drive straight to Grayback, but I don't think I could drive to Summit Road. I mean, I was so young that in terms of like, I remember, remember, uh, remember, you remember Huckabee's there at the bottom of the hill? And remember how we would get those little caramel squares from from the, from the Brock's company and all that? It's like, yep. um, I, I, for some reason, the word honeycut just injured my my mind. I don't know why. Is, is, does that mean anything to you? Is there, was, was there like a honeycut lane or something around there? But um, I don't know why that came to my mind. But I'm just saying, like, I don't. I, the reason why we didn't visit Summit Road was because, again, I, I'm not sure I would know how to get there. So uh, and so that's that's another reason why I was like, man, it'd be so great to meet up with Paul, uh, with with Bo and Paul, primarily you, uh, and then we could you know go back. Uh, so so two things. So this is what I wanted to tell you was that 
I was expecting, not that like I'm ashamed or embarrassed, uh, but, you know, I didn't even know we were poor till I was like 25, right? You know, and, uh, and, 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 and I, I missed that, that, uh, that innocence, right? So it wasn't like I was like embarrassed, like, you know, yeah, this is where we lived. I was like, yeah, you know, this is so exciting to be back here and everything else. But I, I got to be honest, Bo, I did not expect to leave Arkansas filled with just this Arkansas pride. Like, I, 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 it's, it's, it's strange. It's like in the year t- since that that happened, it's like all I, all I, what I have, I have a, a second of spare time when I'm not, you know, I've got, you know, two young kids in the house. I'm making this movie. I'm running two companies. I've got the weekly podcast. I'm a, I'm a busy guy. So, but when I'm not doing that, the, all I'm doing is looking up facts about Arkansas. Like, I just recently learned that, like, the Arkansas Democrat and the Arkansas Gazette both combined into, I guess, I guess what is it called? The Arkansas Democrat Gazette or something? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yep, yeah, it's the Democrat Gazette now. Okay, okay. So, just things like that. So, it's just strange that when I when we were driving there, I was very, uh, driving home from Texas after we had dinner at that little log cabin, just something came over me, and I, I can't explain it, man. Suddenly, I was, you know, I, I'm still two-turner, man. I, I'm not, I'm really not much different from that kid that you remember. I'm just a little, I got a little less hair on my on my head and uh uh you know and I'm, I'm a little wiser uh but in terms of being just that excited energetic talkative guy i'm, I'm pretty much still that kid that you remember but but i left there just i didn't expect to leave there being filled with just this pride like man wait a minute like i'm proud to be from here like this is wonderful like people are people because you know i you know i spent about eight years in new york city i don't know if you knew that or not no i did not know that yeah so so in 2006 and i'll I'll save a lot of that for again in person uh in 2006 i moved um i was working for a record label uh here in dallas and i got a promotion and i moved up there and i was in uh in new york city from 06 to 2013 and for a poor kid from Summit Road, Arkansas, you know, it was a miracle I ever even went there as a tourist, let alone actually living and working, you know, in the city. And it was great on one hand. On the other hand, it was obviously total culture shock. And and and, and uh, so it wasn't until 2013 I, I decided to come back to Texas. But uh, so, so it's not like I've ever been ashamed that I was from Arkansas. But I, you know, I spent, you know, 87 to 2006, I spent 20 years in, you know, in Texas. And now I've been back for, God, you know, another seven years. So typically before the trip last year, I would tell people, I go, well, I was born in Arkansas, but I, you know, I kind of grew up in Texas or, or I, I say that or, or I, or I'll just straight out say, yeah, like if I'm, if I'm like somewhere like in New York, I just say, yeah, I'm from Dallas, Texas. But, but dude, in the year since we were there, when anybody asked me where I'm from, the first thing I say, and I don't know why, I'm just very proud. I'm, like, I'm from Little Rock. I'm from Arkansas. Like, I, it's just, uh, and, and that, that was unexpected, man. So that, that, that's also what really kind of lit a fire under my ass uh, to do this. I mean, I'm online looking up 
Wild River Country commercials and, you know, all that great shit. So, um, so one last thing, uh, and like I said, and then what we'll do is, is that we'll, uh, I want to ask you this though. So when was the last time you have actually have been to that house on Summit Road? Ooh, uh, I had, now I've been on Summit Road probably in the last year. Oh, you have? Uh, okay. Yes, Pat, uh, maybe a year and a half. Pat's father passed away, Aww. and he was buried at uh, Summit Cemetery, literally spitting distance from my dad's grave. Oh, my uh, goodness. But... And then another oddity is my ex-wife's parents actually live on Summit Road. That's where I met her. Oh, my God. Uh, and this was, you know, as an adult, I done graduated, moved back to Benton, was uh, really, really big into playing basketball because I actually grew finally. Oh, good, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I went from that five foot to a six foot two tall, you know, Basketball become my basically become my life before uh, I had my first child. That's amazing. Um, and so she was from Silicon Heights Summit area. She lived on Summit. Uh, Pastor's mother still lives on Summit. So anytime I'm down in Benton, I drive over to Summit. But I have not drove down the hill in at least. Two and a half years. Okay, okay. Uh, our house, what used to be our house, you know, before we finally uh, moved to Bigelow and everything, that house was pretty much falling apart. You know, I'm like you, I didn't realize that me and, me and the wife was just talking about it last night when I was talking about talking to you. Uh, we didn't realize we was underprivileged, you know. Nope. And... Then, then I was like, you know, but to think of it, back when pizza delivery first started, yep, nobody delivered down that road because that was, that was the poor folks. Yep, yep, but, and, uh, but I, I, we didn't know that. Yeah, no, we didn't know that. Shoot, we, we were living it up, living, you know, pretty much our best lives. But and and that's that what I'm saying. Do. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying was is that, you know when I think about that time, I don't think about being poor and couldn't get a fucking pizza. Excuse my language, get, but couldn't get a pizza delivered, uh, you know, to the house. You know what I think about? I think about perhaps the greatest time of my life. I think about my my great friend Bo that I have missed dearly through all these years, and and your brother too, man. I mean, despite our little run in and eighty, and that's what I told him too. I was like, I go, "Where's your brother?" and and I look back on that still and think, man, why didn't we reconnect somehow in Jacksonville? But like you said, you guys weren't there for very long, right? Yeah, no. And uh, and so, but anyway, but that's what I think about. I don't think I think about. Those helmets and uh, and you know and just just the best just a great innocent time uh, of being a kid and having great friends and golly man that those summers seem to literally go on forever and the year when you guys when we when we all got our bikes for Christmas that following summer was just. 
you know, you're never going to have that time, that time again in, in your life. And I look back for it, and I'm so grateful for that time. I'm so grateful to you. I'm so grateful that you were in my life and, you know, and, and, and being able to be there and have that time together is a special place that lives in me. And that doesn't matter if I'm living in New York City and I'm touring the world with rock stars and whatever I'm doing, dude, I'm always that kid on that bike wanting to go down to Huckabee's uh, with my friend Bo and listen to Blondie and get some candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so. Well, that's, that's something that, you know, like you say, you'll never be able to get that type of moment. Right. We were richer than, than any rich person could ever be. And that, the value uh, that I that I that, that that has given me the it has made me richer it has made my life richer and it's something that I I always thought about so what I mean there's different places in my life that I'm also you know very nostalgic about very much so like I said the place right after Summit Road a place called called Grayback but when I think about my life th- literally the two places that just golly that just liberate me from any thing that I'm ever feeling about anything that just take me to the, the best time and the best place of my life was Summit Road and and and, and of course in, in Grayback and but but Gray but Summit Road was first. You know, and 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 that's where for me it will always be the most special. Because it was very different. And like you said, like I, I think out of everything that we've talked about here today, the best thing that has been said is what you said. And you said that those bikes were us. And it's all I can do not to cry to say that, uh, you know, because, um, you know, it is emotional. You know, it, 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 it's very emotional for me to, to hear you say that and, 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 uh, and bless you so much for, uh, you know, I, I, I love knowing that this is as important to you uh, as it is to me, and it's as special to you as it is to me. And, and after all these years, when we drove away that day, I'm glad that you know it never left your mind, and, and that our bond, no, no matter how many years go by or how many miles apart, we'll always will have Summit Road, man. You know. Yep. Yep. Well, it's been, it, go ahead. It is, like I say, it, you know. It, been a pleasure reconnecting with you you know like I said it's a lot of stuff you don't remember and then when you get to talking to people you know it does it takes you back to them innocent days where you know no matter what everything is great totally just when there are no no fears and no worries and and again it's unfortunate because I'm sure that my mom probably remembers that time as being probably somewhat trustful, even though I know that she had a good time too. But her and I were just talking. Uh, I'm very, I'm very fortunate. Both of my parents are still alive. Uh, I don't have much of a relationship with my dad, and that's on purpose. And he lives in Biloxi, Mississippi. But, but my mom, uh, even when I was in New York, I talked to her every day, and and uh, and I was very fortunate that I had. Uh, it's a long story. I'll I'll tell you later. But um, I had flight benefits through American Airlines. So I could come home anytime I wanted, and 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 I don't know if I would have been able to survive in New York if I didn't have that ability. 
So it wasn't like I was, my mom became somebody that I only saw at Christmas. I was coming home, you know, about once a month, sometimes sometimes even, even more than that. So there was never a long stretch where we didn't see each other. And, and now she lives uh, about, yeah, about 30, 40 minutes from me. And I go out and see her every weekend, and we talk all the time. And she's obviously a big presence in, in my children's life and all that. So, um, but, uh, but I, you know, her and I were talking about how just w- things like the shows that we watched and and, you know, we, we, we had something. You know, we may have been poor, but we had each other. We had great friends. Uh, and we really enjoyed and experienced something that has made us better people. And I would not change a freaking thing, man. All right. Okay. So back to the music of 1980. Uh, God, so much great stuff came out. And again, we played Blondie. So we've covered the New Wave uh, deal and, of course, the country music thing. But, man, heavy metal planted its flag, especially in the United States. There was a great thing called uh, the new wave of British heavy metal that included more obscure bands like Diamond Head, um, you know, and like uh, like Tigers of Pang Tang, that kind of deal. But then you had bands like Def Leppard, which actually was a part of that, Judas Priest, uh, and, and God, none more powerful than Motorhead who came out with just a landmark record called Ace of Spades in 19, November of 1980. Uh, they'd had two records out in England, but this is actually, a lot of people don't know this, this is actually this is their debut, or they know it, or they've forgotten, to, to put it to perspective. Uh, this was their, their American debut album. So this was the introduction for a lot of people uh, to Lemmy and, uh, and Motorhead. And it's the best lineup with Fast Eddie Clark and, of course, and Phil Taylor. And it's just sad knowing that everybody on all three of those guys on that album cover are gone. But, uh, of course, we lost Lemmy a couple years ago. But, uh, man. So, anyway, uh, but so much great heavy metal came out that that year. Judas Priest's British Steel. Uh, Again, Iron Iron Maiden had a great record that came out that year. Um, Again, uh, Motorhead's. Ace of Spades is so much great, great stuff. So I'm going to play you a song off of Ace of Spades. Not what you're expecting. Uh, you know, a lot of people, of course, you know, would just do the regular, like do Ace of Spades or, um, you know, We Are the Road Crew. Uh, another one they would still play alive a lot was a song called The Chase is Better Than the Catch. But I'm going to play you a song called Love Me Like a Reptile. A, it's a great title. B, it's my favorite song from the album. Uh, and once again, like I said, uh, rest in peace to the, the great and legendary and incomparable Let Me Kill Mister. This is Love Me Like a Reptile from 1980's Ace of Spades. This is Motorhead. And we'll be right back with more of all things 1980. And don't forget to check out our 1980 playlist on Spotify where you can hear this and so much more. <laughs>
Hey, what's up? This is Rick Ockberger, the WWE sign guy. Oh my lord! You think of the 1980s, especially the 80s in general. I think of video games. I mean, I mean, I was a kid. I was six years old in 1980. And I got the Atari for Christmas in 1982. Uh, still one of the greatest moments of my life. Um, thankfully, even though we didn't have, um, you know, you didn't take a lot of pictures back then. If you were, you know, we weren't, we were kind of we were very poor. Uh, even though I got an Atari, like I said, I didn't. It wasn't like I was going without. Man, my parents uh, did their best they could for me. Um, but what's interesting about it is, is that thank goodness there's the there's this wonderful picture probably my favorite picture of me ever of me holding that atari on christmas morning so i can't really say i was playing too many video games in 1980 uh but i definitely know and can recall playing uh you know the the arcade versions you know not obviously not not the home console uh and so much of that began in 1980 it's just crazy how a new decade um just really just supercharged just kind of totally lit that fire uh you know if anybody could only could name one video game they would name pac-man well pac-man was introduced in in north america uh in in 1980 um and so much more uh came in 1980 in the world of video games. So I'm about to get real super duper nerdy on you here. Uh, I wanted to tell you about a few things. First of all, um, one thing that was introduced was the very first video game awards ceremony. I mean, video games at that point, uh, you know, we think of them as not really coming out until, you know, the mid 80s and Nintendo in 85, but there was a booming thing in the late 70s that carried over to the 1980s. Uh, Space Invaders 1, uh, which is, was kind of cool. Um, uh, but also, like I said, there's just so much to talk about. Missile Command, one of my favorites. Shout out to my to my late Uncle John, who was a Missile Command uh, just champ. Uh, that game is definitely based upon the Cold War uh, between the Soviets. And it, it doesn't have the same aesthetic as that. But, it, you know, looking back on it now, I can say, oh, okay, yeah, that, that game was definitely uh, based on, uh, you know, the Cold War. And something interesting, Cinematronics released uh, a game called Star Castle. Uh, but in 1982, uh, for the Atari 2600, it ended up becoming probably my favorite game on Atari, which is called Yars Revenge. Now, when we get to 82 in a couple of years, we'll probably have a whole Yars Revenge half hour because I was obsessed with that game and, and in many ways still am. But but its origins trace back uh, to Star Castle that came out in, also, like I said, in 1980. Um, and when I think also about video games, again, for the Atari, I loved all of those Activision games. Uh, my favorites was a game called Stampede. Of course, everybody loves Pitfall. And those were a few years away. Uh, but the very first batch of those games, uh, all for the, the time for the, for the Atari VCS, uh, uh, was Dragster, Fishing Derby, Boxing, uh, Bridge, Checkers. That first batch also started um, in 1980. And um, and another game that became one of my all-time favorites. Any kid who grew up in the '80s remembers playing track and field, where you're trying to hit the buttons as fast as you can, and you try to manipulate it by doing something like like I, I would. I saw this guy put a like a pencil or a pen or something between his fingers so that when he was kind of like a seesaw, so whenever he was tapping one, it would hit the other button simultaneously. Um, I can never figure out how the hell to do that, but I still can't, you know, 
blow a bubble with chewing gum or um, can barely yo-yo. I was never good at that kind of stuff, but I, I sure tried. Uh, but anyway, but Microsoft published a game called the Olympic Decathlon. This was for the TRS-80, the old Radio Shack machine. And uh, it's a track and field video game, like, like I said, who later became uh, track and field for uh, Konami. Another great memory is you guys won't remember for the Atari 2600 for all you users out there. Uh, it was the first time you could use something other than the joystick. They offered these little dials that we called paddles. I think they were called paddles because they were kind of intended to be used for like I think like tennis games and things like that. Uh, but that summer uh, they introduced the game Night Driver, and one of my memories that I have is because I didn't get Night Driver until much later, till '82, but um. But I loved Night Driver, and I really loved the actual... That game was actually also a console game. I mean, not a console game, but an actual cabinet game where it was one of the first where you would get in it, in it like an actual kind of mock-up of a car. And it was black and white, which is kind of funny. Um, but the one for later on for the Atari was in color. And I loved that game. I thought it was so great. And my dad, of course, always Mr... There's no such thing as Santa Claus. I mean, he loved Christmas, but I'm just saying, like, he's always like, you know, this is, you know, you know, wrestling's not real, right? Kind of guy. He said, look, the car actually never moves. He goes, the road is what moves. He goes, watch, if I were to put a piece of tape on this TV set where the car is, you'll see that the car never leaves the confines of that one area. It doesn't move at all. It's just your the the road is moving. I thought that was a bit of a revelation, but uh, but yeah. So Night Driver began in 1980, uh, and here's where. Uh, and in terms of handheld, Nintendo actually released a thing called the Game and Watch series. It was, it was those very early LCD, you know, those handheld electronic games that we all we all enjoyed. Now, in terms of hardware, here's where we're going to get even nerdier. Data East released what is something that was so revolutionary and so pioneering, uh, called the Deco Cassette System. Uh, now that's the first standardized arcade platform, uh, and this is what essentially ushered in and made possible what is now what is known as the golden age of arcade video games. Uh, I won't go too deep into you, but what a, a Deco cassette system is is how it works. The arcade owner, let's say, would buy a like a base cabinet. Uh, and the games were stored on these little audio cassettes, an actual audio cassette, if you can imagine it. The arcade owner would insert the cassette and then in a security dongle, so you couldn't kind of, you know, uh, for, so the user couldn't kind of mess with it, uh, into the cabinet. When the cabinet powered up, the program from the tape would be copied into the cabinet's RAM chip. The process took yeah, about two to three minutes. Uh, and after this, the game could be played freely until the cabinet was rebooted. Uh, revolutionary for the time, uh, for sure. Uh, but eventually, arcade owners, you know, complained about you know the potential unreliability of the cassettes uh, because they could be demagnetized just so easily. And then, of course, the load time was kind of you know kind of lame. Uh, but man, uh, I'm sure you played a lot of games that came from that again that ushered in what we what we now call uh the golden age uh of arcade video games which i, I was right in the middle of that man um being six years old you heard bo and i talking about being at mcdonald's i'm sure we, we probably dropped a quarter on a couple of games there and um and probably the the one from 1980 besides pac-man uh that i that i have just a 
complete love affair and relationship was was of course who doesn't has ever not played centipede and it's just amazing to think that all of this came in you know in one year in 1980 so that's why we're celebrating it right all right okay so back to the music uh so i'm actually gonna play you a new song uh that's actually not from 1980 it's actually brand new but it is definitely inspired by 1980 um of course as we were talking about video games and <clears throat> getting super nerdy and for me uh, it's the 80s especially 1980 is in, is interchangeable uh with video games and that's where Pac-Man landed on uh, these shores and nothing was ever the same and we're all the better for it. Uh, so you guys might know the band Gorillaz. Of course, Damon Albert from Blur. It's got this kind of you know crazy cartoon band for last 20 plus years. And they do a lot of very interesting kind of neat kind of, kind of things. And right now, they have this thing called, they've been doing called the Song Machine Series where they're just kind of releasing just regular singles online. I don't know if there's any sort of physical copies to them, uh, but just kind of at random, they all seem to kind of have a bit of a theme. Uh, but what's so cool about this one is that they, the newest one, the fifth installment is simply called Pac-Man, which I'm assuming is not a coincidence that it was released on the, the day of the 40th anniversary of um, Pac-Man being released in North America. Um, the really really cool track uh they got schoolboy uh uh q honor uh is, is i mean i'm sorry they got schoolboy q on the track to honor this great arcade classic um and it's just awesome so i thought it would be kind of cool to go ahead and uh, and play this to kind of give you something a little bit new uh to kind of move forward to also celebrates the past uh, to kind of go along with our uh, video game coverage. So once again, this is Gorillaz. This is the song Pac-Man. is the fifth installment of their Song Machine series. And we'll be right back with all things 1980. <laughs>
shatter my thoughts to get out my shell Uh, why would I hold my tongue to tuck in my tails, Hey, Can't dream if my ego is broke, nah The jokes, they try to find the answer to no My type of drive, you can't buy this shit You got a heart, but it don't be like this I had a spark, then my mind went trip Create the wave, so the vibe all mix I've been at the top of the top, fell from the ceiling before I fell Cause I needed to grow, Bruce Lee, Roy with the glow, uh Walked on the edge, fuck tryna dream in the bed Before I die on these meds, nigga gon' die in the feds Before I make it to jail, probably put one in the head Fuck the judge and the prosecutor for hanging me dead Plus 30 and still moving, I'm closer to live, right? Closer to live, right? All the trauma from past never taught me to fear heights Know I'm gonna fly now, can't be stuck in the red lights Take flight, the light gon' bloom for the black night Keep a peace, no Buddhist Got the whole hood booming I'm like a crip high student You on your ass look stupid You making we look bad I ride the beat, won't crash I had to feel my back I had to hide my stash You know the cops lights flash I had to clear my dash I represent my flag I gave the hood my last Every full crumb minute I had to change my image The brain don't got limits You think a meal mean winning the pigs out here skinning Your soul ain't authentic You died and still ain't living I'm here with my friend Roy. He is talking all things pieces of me. This is Tiffany here. To always, always tune in to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Do you remember a birthday party at McDonald's? Oh, of course I do. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember, uh, you know, Paul ended up with all of Mama's photos. And, and uh, but I just remember flipping through some of the photos and I remember... Oh God! I would love to have. Do you remember that McDonald's had these calendars, and the idea of the calendar, as I recall, was the idea to uh, they were like ambassadors to for like you know people all over the world. It was kind of to promote tolerance of people of different you know cultures and kinds, and and the cover of the calendar always had Ronald McDonald. And it would have like somebody from all these countries, and they would have the flags up. Well, anyway, I was absolutely obsessed with these calendars. And that birthday party you're talking about was where I got one of those calendars. And this is one of those things where it would be impossible to get back. I mean, you have to go on eBay and, and you know, and and try to find one, and if you did, you know, it was in the hand of a kid. He probably drew all over it and everything else. Well, about four years ago, my sister had heard me talking about those calendars and uh, enough where she did a little bit of detective work, and she got one for me. It was totally untouched, in pristine order, and and I have it. So I know that sounds kind of nerdy and kind of obsessive, but, you know, again, it was... You know, something that immediately took me back to that time. Right. Do you remember those cal? Do you remember those calendars? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, seeing a picture. You know, you in the picture, and back then, you know, we was like Brad and Pat. Oh yeah. And my little cousin Jason. Oh yeah, of course, of course. I remember. You know, I remember we was playing that game where you had you're supposed to hold the straws and drop them, see how many you get in a cup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my little cousin Jason just bent down and put them all in the cup. <laughs> and uh, we was all like, well, that ain't right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, because if I was like, I think about at that birthday party, I think it was like '81, so I was probably like seven by then. I think Jason was about five, because I remember he had just started. Uh, he had just started school, and um, a few fun facts. Uh, said we're talking about McDonald's. Uh, is that is a few things happened uh, actually in the year 1980. Uh, besides that birthday party, got him. It's amazing that uh, that he, you know you remembered that, and God, I would love to have a picture of that. That'd be so great. It's just so funny at this age, you know, in your life, you don't think you're ever going to see any, any any new pictures of yourself from the past. Um, anyway, but in 1980, McDonald's introduces the McChicken sandwich. Uh, so if you guys are a fan of that, uh, it's actually with its first poultry item, and it flopped. You know, people there are people there for, for hamburgers, and it was removed from the menu. Uh, but it was later reintroduced after, of course, you know, of course, the Chicken McNuggets. Uh, the next year was introduced. Um, it came back later on. Uh, they opened their 6,000th uh, McDonald's restaurant. Uh, it was in Munich, Germany. And if you were a kid like us back then, collecting uh, the, all the all the fun McDonald's toys, and of course, those calendars that mean so much to me. Uh, in 1980, McDonald's introduced Birdie the Early Bird. You guys, of course, remember, of course, Grimace and, and the hamburger and everything else. But, uh, God, I loved Birdie uh, so much. And uh, such a big uh, part of my memories of going to McDonald's and everything else. And, you know, you think about all those characters. And I, you know, I, I miss that. I know later on we, we learned, you know, stuff about McDonald's. But, man, I, I, I really remember that innocent time and going there with my granddad uh, a whole lot. My, my, we called. I called my granddad, my dad's dad, Daddy Turner, and, and that was our thing. He would take me to McDonald's, and uh, the memories I have of that are just, just so vivid and so special to me. So I, again, I understand what reality is now, but I wouldn't. Uh, nothing can can diminish or devalue those amazing memories I have of my time at McDonald's back then. Some sometime between. 80 and before he left, that's when we got our bicycles for Christmas. Yep. And, uh, you remember what color my bicycle's rims was? Uh, Black and yellow rims. That's right, that's right. That and the reason, the reason being, because I looked at, you know, because I'm still big in sports, I watch a lot of sports, still a Dallas Cowboys fan. Yep. Uh, but at that time, with the whole McDonald's party, I was a Pittsburgh Pirates fan because I liked their hat. Uh, I, yep, I remember that too. And I, and I liked Tony Pena. And so my bike, I, when I got my bike, it was black and yellow. Never once crossed my mind that that was also the Steelers colors. Well, yep, yep. For, 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 so I got older, you know. Yeah. But, of course, you remember that you and I uh, and Paul, we would go out there and we would try to catch crawdads like any good boys would do. You know, some country southern boys in nowhere Arkansas sticking your hand in a creek trying to catch uh, crawdads. And But, unfortunately, uh, it, it, it caused me to catch scarlet fever. <laughs> yep, I remember you getting sick. There was a, a teacher that sent me. Uh, I was that kid at school that, like, you know, the teacher had to make all the other students write a letter. I was a sick kid in the hospital and all that. And apparently my mom wrote her a thank you letter. And uh, her name was uh, was Miss Harden, Mrs. Harden. 
and she was my first grade teacher and Mrs. Harden wrote my mom back this beautiful letter uh, about of gratitude and about me and, and all that and I still have it and, uh, and, and I, I, I found it just a, about a year ago and I thought it might be kind of fun um, that uh, I don't know if she's even still alive and and God knows how would I find her and I mean the, I, I have the letter the uh, the envelope so the only thing I would know to do is just go to that address and maybe she's one of these people that's lived in the same house for 50 years but um, I thought that might be kind of fun something to do as well once we uh, once I come up there so I just wanted to tell you that man I love you happy 50th birthday I can't tell you how great this has been to hear your voice and if anything, I hope that this is uh, uh, in some way a, 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 a birthday gift to you. Uh, and we got a lot more coming. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And uh, I can't wait to see you. And I don't know, maybe actually get it to where it's something we can do every year. See, I, and that's what I, I was, I was going to suggest that too. It was like, man, like... It's just so funny how people do that. You know, you, you, your, your lives get busy and you do things. And it's like, man, you're not that far away from where I am right now. I mean, I could get in a car right now. I could be there in four hours or maybe, you know what I'm saying? I know. Uh, we you know? used to, uh, you know, back when we was 18, 19, Texas still sold alcohol at 18 years old. And yeah. me and my buddies would jump in a truck from, that's from Jacksonville and... Haul ass down to Dallas so we can run around and drink. Yep, yep. And you know? and you as the Cowboys fan, like I live, I live in a town called Frisco, which is about forty miles north of Dallas. But I'm literally about a, a mile and a half, less than that. I could we could practically walk over there uh, from the the Cowboys training area. This is where they do all their training stuff and all that. So if you're still a fan. Uh, you know, we'll have to have you also come down at some point. Uh, and again, I, I got to be honest, I'm not really the, the world's biggest football fan uh, uh, these days. I'm a, I'm a baseball guy. And uh, that was the, the big deal for me. It's where it all started was there on Summit Road because I, I saw the Philadelphia Phillies win their very first uh, World Series in franchise history from a hospital bed because of the scarlet fever. And, and man, they were just such a lifeline for me these guys were like gods and then it was pete rose and mike schmidt and steve carlton and all these great guys uh and yeah. so when so and then you know remember arkansas never didn't have an ml uh an mlb team we used to go out to ray winder field to see the travelers and then yeah. when we moved here you know, for the first, we had Nolan Ryan, but other than that, you know, the Rangers sucked for like 20 years. So, so my team is actually always has been the Philadelphia Phillies. And the reason why they're the Philadelphia Phillies is because of Summit Road, man. So, I mean, that is what one of the big, when you, like, I'm wearing a Philadelphia Phillies shirt right now, and I usually am. My office right now where we're doing this is covered in, Philly stuff and all that started right there at Summit Road, man. So I mean, I mean, I I always have carried that with me. So, uh, so brother, listen, man, uh, I can't wait for you to meet my family. I can't wait to meet yours. And but we're gonna have to set a, some uh, some time aside. Like I said, whenever we get up there, we'll we'll do like some little formal kind of filming thing, whatever, to satisfy that. But again, certainly not at the cost or at the expense of of this amazing thing that I want us to plan where just you and me, brother, we're going to go out to Summit Road, we're going to ride bikes, 
and uh, we're going to retrace our steps, uh, and it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to do it. So uh, I'll let you go for now. Uh, is there anything about 1980 that you wanted to add for people that when they hear the podcast and all that, is there anything that you wanted uh, to that, that we haven't talked about right now in that capacity that you'd like to share? No, I think we've covered everything, and hopefully I'll think back and remember it a little bit more. And, okay, okay. And we'll be able to share that when we get together. Perfect. That's we, a- we've got a lot of stories to talk about. Oh, it's yeah. interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do, my friend. Well, brother, listen, cheers to you. I'll let you go for now. I said, look for this picture about, about to send you, and I'll be in touch with that date when I'm going to be up in Arkansas where we can get this ball rolling. Love you, brother. Cheers to you, man. All right. You too. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. I want to thank all of my guests. Uh, Again, great to have Barry Corbin back. Oh, my man, Sam Jones, Flash Gordon. I mean, come on. We did 1980 with Flash Gordon. Uh, and you know what? I I do remiss. I really wish Kim Carnes could have joined us. Uh, Kim, if you're out there, and if you guys know how to connect me to, to Kim, please let me know. There was a bit of a misconnection there. But I'm um, so grateful for the guests that we did have. Of course, Barry Corbin, Sam Jones, Flash Gordon, and unbelievably to speak again and to chat and reconnect with my man, Bo Williams. And after 38 long years, and brother, uh, again, I, I never forgot about you. I love you. Uh, can't wait to see you coming up this summer. Come up to Arkansas in a few weeks, and we're going to pick this thing up in person. And like what Bo said, the most important thing, my favorite memory, uh, is us on our bikes. We all got bikes for Christmas. We were poor as church mice, but our, our, our dear parents found a way and made sure that we had those. And some of my favorite memories of my entire life, and will always will be, is riding my bike uh, with Bo uh, and his brother Paul on Summit Road in Benton, Arkansas, man. No matter what. Uh, I got this, I got a blue um, Huffy uh, bike that was more, I think it was like a, like a 10 inch bike as I was, again, I was only six years old. Um, but, uh, and then Paul had a blue and red bike. I remember that one. I remember the actual brand. It was probably also a Huffy. Uh, but as we discussed, Bo Williams had one of the most sought-after bikes then and actually actually now. Uh, he had the 1980 Huffy Pro Thunder, uh, the yellow and black. Much to his dismay, him being a Cowboys fan, it, it's, a, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers colors. But uh, he had that bike, man. And uh, golly, such great memories of it. And so while I was actually researching that bike, and looking it up, I found something very interesting that I'm going to close with here. Again, want to thank all my sponsors, thank all of our listeners and all of our subscribers. Uh, make sure you check us out, subscribe. We get a lot of great stuff coming up. Got a great comics episode coming up uh, next week. You're not going to want to miss that. But I'm going to leave you with this one. I was looking it up, and then suddenly I found this gentleman named Robert Steele, who actually wrote a song called 1980 Huffy Pro Thunder about his love and desire of the bike that he wanted. Um, It's a part of something called Slow Pace Records. I'll have links to this up on, uh, of course, at trickykid.com. Robert, if you're out there, I'm doing my best to plug you, brother. He did a live session, and the album's called The Calm Waters of Youth. 
and it's just, it's very slow and uh, it's slow paced. Uh, but I thought it was the perfect uh, way to end uh, this episode. Like, was there any songs written about that bike? Well, here you go. Uh, once again, thanks out to all our listeners. Uh, and cheers, and we'll see everybody. And hey, we'll be back uh, with a 1981 episode of this type, uh, of course, next summer. But also don't miss, we're going to do 30 years of 1990 uh, coming up. But anyway, uh, again, thank you for joining us here for this special thing with 1980. And to all my friends and family uh, in that time of 1980 and Summit Road and Benton, Arkansas, uh, thank you for being a part of my life. And we'll see you next week.
Huffy pros on the Huffy pros on the Huffy pros on the